And I, I think, like, for me to be a part of this change in narrative um, is a big thing because I think I'm starting to make people a little bit more aware of really what they're eating and Absolutely. how their foods are made and processed and, and, and you know, manufactured. And that is all I want to do. Um, that, that is literally, like, my ultimate goal. If that's, that's my the mission. step in life, then yeah. if that's my, my mission... Um, I'll happily do that um, um, because I, I do believe that we're doing so much more harm eating from all these places who, I mean, especially in relation to being sustainable. Um, yeah. The snacking and food, packaged food industry is probably one of the biggest offenders mm. of emitting <laughs> carbon uh, dioxide into the atmosphere. But yeah. Everyone's like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. And here I am, little old me, <laughs> saying, actually, there's so much you can do. Right. You're just not doing anything. You're just um, not doing You're it. not looking at more innovative ways to um, make this in the right way. Now, obviously, my processes will only get better and they'll only improve um, right. with time and with technology. Um, but even right now, I mean, I'm just so happy that I can happily say that I've saved trees. Mm. You know, I, I ensured that things are good for the environment. Um, Welcome to Sun Chasing Success, a podcast for online entrepreneurs, authors, and influencers worldwide. We are here to enhance your quality of life while helping you build location-independent businesses. We connect listeners with guests, insights, and discussions from the sunny coasts of the USA to the crystal blue waters of the Caribbean islands. Fascinating dialogue from the enchanting beaches of Brazil to the majestic shores of Africa. Each week we deliver specialized knowledge, wisdom, strategies, and tips to enhance your success, freedom, and fun under the sun. Now, here's your host, Bayo Oloronto. Welcome back, everybody. This is Bio with Sun Chasing Success. We're here for another episode. Got another amazing guest today. Um, basically, this is Jadu Amar. He's the founder of Paradise Sun Snacks. And uh, he aims to innovate the snack industry and create a new category in supermarkets by offering 100% sun-toasted coconut chips coming straight out of Ghana. And uh, right now they've got product lines they're developing. They've got a, a, a product called Beach Babe, which is a lightly salted, savory flavor. And another product called Sweet Ting, which is a lightly sweetened flavor. And uh, he's gonna be updating his website soon, but you can go to Instagram at Paradise Sun Snacks, or you can go to his personal Instagram, Armar. that's J-E-D-U-A-R-M-A-R. And without any further ado, Welcome, Jadu Amar, to Sun Chasing Success. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited <laughs> to finally be joining you. Absolutely, um, Obviously, man. we've we've been in contact. And uh, yeah, no, I, I just love the vibe that you're on. And I, I love what you're doing. So um, I think this is a great time to obviously get together and, and talk about how we're, we're planning and trying to change the perception of Black people. And um those in the diaspora. So um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely, man. And, and it's exciting to make the connection. It's so funny because this idea of the sun 
And, you know, my idea of just, I've always heard the term sun chasing, you know, like people who like yeah. you know, the beaches and tropical weather. And then when I saw your Paradise Sun Snacks, I knew that I had to interview you and talk with you about your brand and this concept of the sun, not only because of the historical idea of the sun, what it means in African culture, but then also yep. the solar power, the idea yeah. of solar energy, and then health and yeah. wellness. So man, it's great to have yeah. you here. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Give us a little bit of a background on, um, you, you say you, you were born in the UK, to a mixture of Ghanaian and Senegalese parents? Yep. Give us a little yep. bit of background on how you grew up, just a summary, and then, you know, some of your education and how you got into the entrepreneurial ideas. No problem, no problem. So, as, as you were just saying, my parents are both um, first generations in terms of being in England right now, um, but they're first generation. Uh, my mother is Senegalese and my, my father is Ghanaian. And um, they were kind of both instilled with the traditional culture and the traditional ways of um, growing up, raising a family, having a secure job and things like that. So I would definitely say that education was definitely at the forefront of our family. Anyway, we, I had some very successful cousins um, on my dad's side who uh, have done such a good job gone to such good schools and things like that so there was always a little bit of pressure on me being one of the youngest in the family um just to kind of show out and kind of show that i too can be a part of this generational boom of success uh, not to say that the generation before weren't successful they all end up being very successful in uh whatever they were doing um had people world bank and uh, one or two others, my dad's an architect, um, other family doing other things, IT, all these types of things. And so I think for us, it was very, very important to um, kind of uphold that reputation and uphold that um, standard and definitely excel beyond that point. Um, and so I think from a young age, my parents always wanted me to go to the best schools possible and have the best education possible. So when I was younger, I, I started out in uh, an all-boys elementary school, believe it or not. Okay. Um, obviously, past kindergarten, um, I started out in all-boys uh, school. And I was able and lucky enough to make a lot of good connections and a lot of um, good people along the way there. Um, and actually, one of my good friends who... Uh, I met at that school is now just starting his first year at HBS. Um, so, I mean, what that should tell you. Oh, oh Harvard Business School? Yep. Wow. Harvard okay. Business school. Yeah. That's great. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that should kind of tell you kind of the standard that um, we were trying to uphold. And I think he's the only person from that school um, that made it to. Harvard Business School. I know a couple others definitely mm -hmm. went to Oxford, Cambridge. Um, but ooh, this is the first guy from the UK and gotcha. from my friend group anyway that went to HBS. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely a big thing. Um, from there, my middle school was also a very, very good school. And my parents decided to get me over to a boarding school. Um, wow. So I, I was also lucky to 
to be in that type of situation. And when you're in boarding school, you realize that there's certainly levels mm. to this life. There's levels to okay. wealth and success um, that you wouldn't otherwise see um, right. elsewhere. So you were um, growing up around some kids that you had exposure yeah. to things you never even thought about or right right really did exactly. it this open exactly. your mind a lot at that point yeah i mean do you know what i i would say 100 percent. i i think you you when you're in there you don't really understand you just think oh wow this is just someone's life but when mm-hmm. you get out you're just like holy cow like that is someone's life or this is the opportunities that one could get um, and, you know, I, the good thing is I didn't take that experience and say, oh my God, I'm going to use all these people one day in my life. It was more, mm. I'm going to make genuine friendships and make genuine friends along the way. And hopefully, uh, whatever happens, happens. But of course, when you're that young, you're only seeing maybe yeah. 10 days ahead, right? You're not really <laughs> looking that far. Right. Um, but no, no, I, I, I definitely was exposed to a lot of things that, um, looking back at it, not many people um, had the opportunity to be exposed to. Um, and yeah, I, I think boarding school taught me a lot of things. It taught me how to live with people, how to people manage, but most importantly, it taught me how to become a bit more of a leader. And I mm. think that was the main thing that really shaped me as a teen. Um, I, I was always an athlete and I was always quite sporty. What and sports so, did you play? Way, oh, way. yeah. So, so I played football, rugby. Um, and that's the my world. Two main that's sports. The, that's, for those Americans listening, that's the world football, meaning soccer. World football. Yes, yes, <laughs> soccer. That, the round ball, not that. <laughs> the, right, that right. Just, just to clarify <laughs> for any Americans that are listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, they were my two main sports. I played a bit of cricket, um, uh, tennis, golf, all, all these different sports. Real tennis, sport that most people don't really understand what it is, but um, mm-hmm. it is, you know, th- th- these are the types of exposures that you get um, when you're, you're in that sort of environment on a daily basis. And um, it was a blessing that I had the opportunity to express myself in that way because I think for me, sport was one of those things that it definitely kept me grounded and kept me humble. Um, mm. You're taught to win gracefully and you're taught to lose gracefully. Mm. Um, and I remember there was one day, uh, so we had this kid in my high school and his, his dad was a national hero in the UK. He had won the World Cup, Rugby World Cup with the England national team. And um, that was just incredible. And one day we lost. And maybe it's not being around his dad, but being around him, he had adopted this philosophy from his dad. Um, And I remember, I can't forget, I can never forget. After we lost a game, um, he turned around and he said, Remember this. Remember this feeling. Remember this moment. Don't let it happen again. Wow. Um, and th- these are like these are just little things that 16, 17 year old kids are amazing, huh? Ad- yeah. ad- adopting. And you, you don't really get that in an everyday public school environment. 
Um, he so definitely. I, I would imagine a lot of these kids had parents that were business owners, were leaders, were working with people that yeah. had teams. Yeah. So it's almost like the kids had a little of a microcosm in sports where they could do what yeah. daddy does or behave the way daddy right. does or mother does. Right. And, and yeah, apply that yeah, in their exactly. teams and their sports and things like that. And what the parents probably tell them when you lose, you know, think about it this way and so forth and so on. Yeah. 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 Now th this isn't to say that my parents weren't the same. They, they were definitely um, quite similar in some respects, particularly my dad. My dad was, he, he's a very well-read individual and he teach, he taught me a lot of valuable life lessons. Mm -hmm. um, but Again, like it's different perspectives. You realize, yeah, yeah that there's levels to it, right? Exactly. exactly yeah. yeah. Exactly. Because we can we can teach people excellence. We can teach integrity. We can teach honor. We can teach so many other principles, even teamwork. But it's it depends on what the where the advice is coming from, right? Like it's just it's all yeah, a mixture. Exactly. You know, I think yeah, all exactly. Of <laughs> So, okay, so you, so yeah, this was exactly. like the middle school, high school, all the school, sports, yeah. leadership, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, did, and you, um, did you have an idea of what you were thinking of doing upon graduating all this? Yeah, absolutely. What did you so want to my, do? <laughs> my thing right out of school was, this is probably the most honest interview I could ever get. Hey, so man, I'm, that's I'm what this is about. We're talking about the true, <laughs> true success. True fulfillment, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, right out of college, actually when I was like 16, 17, um, I really, really wanted to get into marketing and okay. advertising. Wow. That was just okay. like, that was something I loved. And I was taking one or two classes that um, were centered around business and um, uh, how to market a brand and an artistic way how to express uh an artistic vision um and kind of create an identity and a brand around that <laughs> type of thinking um, uh -huh. um i was also very good when it came to art well i wouldn't say very good but somehow everyone that went through my high school ended up getting a stars like like in insane yeah. grades. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say I was like the, the the cream of the crop, but I I was among the A grades kind of thing. Um, so I knew I was going to get into something creative, something where I can express myself a lot gotcha. more. And then I spoke with my parents at like a parent teacher meeting, and I remember telling both my parents, "Listen, like." I think you've heard it all today. Like I'm, I'm creative and I can do this. I want to get into advertising and marketing. And we were sitting in the car. My mom, she laughed. She was just like, <laughs> you're not doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, well, I'm but, laughing, right? Because I had a similar yeah. conversation with my father in high school. Yeah. To college. Same Similar, yeah. similar ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is yeah. something that's common to the African, uh, the African community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would, def I would definitely say the Africans and um, the Asians, the Far East and the South Southern Asians. And um, I had Indian and Pakistani friends who 
kind of went through the same thing. Some of the most creative geniuses you'll ever meet. They're either musically talented or whatever, but you know their parents are sending them to be doctors, lawyers. Hey, get get check this you know? out. So so I was like going to I made it into Vanderbilt University and other universities in the United States. You know that's like yeah. top twenty in the United States. Yeah, I'm looking through the catalog, the but I'm like 17 years old, right? I don't know yeah. anything about life purpose or anything. So I'm looking through yeah. the catalog, and I'm like, man, what do I? What would I like? You know, I was thinking like that. Yeah. And so I saw yeah. people, sociology. You know what? I want to be a sociology major. <laughs> I think I was like, what? Sociology? I ain't make no money with that, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and then it was like, I had a, I also had a cousin, my cousin William, who was yeah. in medical school at the time after already having been a pharmacist. This Nigerian brilliance, you know, we just became a pharmacist and said, oh, you know what? Typical. The 100,000 isn't enough for me. I want to become a surgeon. I want to become a doctor. So he went back to medical yeah. school, went to medical school. So, you know, I know where you're coming from on that. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate. Yeah. So, so they no, said, okay. Absolutely. So they said, okay, you're talking about this creativity, marketing, advertising stuff. What did they suggest would be a yeah. better route? <laughs> well, I, right off the bat, it was like, you're already limited with options. And I, I, I think, yeah. like you said, you're so like yeah, accustomed yeah. and we're so used to that type of thing. Um, at the time, my, one of my eldest cousins was in uh, HBS. My other two cousins had finished in really good IT schools. And my other cousin was a doctor as well so i mean like it was just like so engineering you're, you're not med engineering about, medicine law <laughs> technology yeah okay yeah. <laughs> so that that was like the only options kind of available to me and i managed like medium uh well find a middle ground with my parents um especially because my dad was an architect and i think it was just all right cool let's just get into architecture I've been on site with him. I understand okay. architecture. There's a little bit of creativity well. in that. In that, uh, a little bit. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, oh yeah. Oh, there's actually a lot. It's, 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 and and I think that is something that I loved a lot, and that's something I enjoyed when I was in there. But um, I think when I got to college, I just didn't thoroughly enjoy it, and mm. I, I knew it right off the bat. I knew that. It's such a time-consuming thing. And I had watched my dad fucking mind my language. I had no, watched no, my dad not... struggle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. right. I had watched my dad struggle, like, a lot. Like, I mean, you think that being an architect, you get paid a lot of money. It's, it's not like that. Mm. There's, there's um, a different face to it that mm -hmm. most people don't understand. Um, and I began to pick up on that very quickly in college but i still continue to do it just to please my parents um mm -hmm. not knowing that really and truly i had the power if i really wanted to just turn around and be like listen mom dad i've changed my major this is what i'm doing take yeah. it or leave it i'm gonna do well yeah and i just need you to trust me and i i feel like a lot of us in that position we, we don't Maybe it's because we're scared or whatever, and we just don't want to look like disappointment. We have that power yeah. in us. 
It's just I think whatever it's, we do, we just have to. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You're saying we have to. Yeah, we 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 just have to really go all guns blazing and really succeed as much as we can at it. You know. Yeah, I, I think that that's it's partly um, the youth and inexperience and naivety. Mm. Just 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 sometimes young people were just yeah. young. You just don't yeah. know when you're in doubt. Yeah. You don't know these things. Yeah. Then yeah. secondly, I think it's because. Our, our, you know, parents, and I think it's very important for parents to get out of the mind state. And I think already now at 2020, this is being, this is changing with our generation stuff. But get out of the mind state of thinking that a particular career track will define a person's success and wealth and, and prosperity later in life. Whereas yeah. a particular skill set, a particular propensity, a particular attitude or way that you are um i have a little sister that just loves to read and read and read yeah. i know that she's gonna do well with something that has to do with that you know so we have to yeah. start thinking more along the lines of what is this this child's blessing or gift that they're yeah. growing up with you know and i think yeah and it took me like about like four years later after going through yeah. college and going through all these challenges failures and that, that's another thing I think it's important for uh, young people, for us to just cross the sands and eventually a young person has to just know that, okay, you may need to change, you may need to discover something in your adversity that will bring about yeah. your true path, yeah. so to say, you know. But it sounds like you were more of a yeah. people person with marketing so and stuff. Like, it sounds like you were just, like the architecture no, was no. a little more technical, maybe, no? Yeah, absolutely. It definitely was. I mean, I'm not, not to say that I was bad at like math and science. I mean, like I got by like B's, mm -hmm. C's and those classes, <laughs> but it, it, like it, it's not great first and foremost. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. getting into a field that is so demanding. Like yeah. I, I, I really need to like be top of the class to like right. really excel in it. And don't get me wrong. Actually, for a while, I was, I was doing okay. Like, I was doing okay, and I got by, but it's just, you know what's for you, and yeah. deep down, when you've fallen out of love, like, if you've fallen out of love with a girl, yeah, she's gonna know, yeah, and you know, and, and it'll eventually break down, uh -huh. um, I, I think after a while, that's what happened with me, and so once I'd finished school, I had started doing a little bit of work with my dad here and there. And by, by that stage, I had told him, like, listen, like, you know, I get it, but I don't get it. I mm -hmm. don't like it. I don't want much to do with it. Um, there's nothing exciting that, that wakes me up in the morning and it's just like, yeah, like, I want to go and finish that. Missing Technical some of that, that, drawing, that, that, that strikes your drawing. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, there's something yeah. about that drive. It sounds like you had that sports background, the idea of leadership. It seems like you needed some more adventure in the, uh, the daily process of passion, excitement. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, you know, with architecture, you're not going to, you're not going to become an independent, <laughs> successful being after three, four, five, six, ten years 
you would need at least 20 years before you're even recognized wow. and considered seriously. Unless wow, you somehow wow, wow. get this big break and, you know, you might know someone in the construction field that's commissioned a, an amazing building or whatever that um, wants to be done. Um, yeah. And so you really have to, like, it's a patience thing and it's a time-consuming thing. And if you've met a real architect, a true architect, you will find that he is borderline depressed. <laughs> I mean, but is he, this somehow, common? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a common thing. I mean, wow, like, okay. listen, um, first day in studio, you're like, all right, cool, here we go. Okay. By the second, third day, you haven't slept by this stage. You mean sleep? You're a zombie. Sleep? Yeah, like, I mean, you I spend mean, time just not sleeping. Okay, so... We don't sleep. I think it's this like is... being an engineer. I think this is important. So, um, yeah. just the archetype of an architect, for example, you come in as an architect, your idea is, okay, you're going to design a building or whatever. That's like your yeah. project for the moment, right? Is the architect charged with yeah. actually drawing the entire beginning, what this building's gonna look like and then breaking it all the way down? Or is it like a combination of they work with other, a few people to get the main drawing and then they break it down? Or just, just yeah, to so give people is, an idea of like the mindset that you were moving away from. Yeah, so I mean, when you're in architecture school, you're coming up with the concepts and then you're coming up with the design, then you're tweaking the design and going over structural elements and things like that along the way. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a firm, it works like this. You go to the firm and they've had a piece commissioned for them to do. And you're either coming up with a concept or you're doing a part of a project or you're doing a detailed drawing, which... It's not fun. I mean, taking a drawing or a detailed drawing of a beam is, is just not enjoyable or a <laughs> nail going through, you know, wow. like. Yeah, um, there's a very micromanaged aspect of it. Like, yeah, it has to be so exactly. perfect. Perfect. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's not enjoyable. Um, okay. But peop- the, there are some people that thoroughly enjoy it. And, you know, I commend them for it. That's what their life purpose is. Um, And so I very quickly knew that that wasn't my life purpose. I still wanted to get into the creative field. I think all throughout college, actually, I was looking for little business opportunities. And actually, if I was to go back maybe a couple years before, what I used to do in high school, because don't forget I was in a boarding school. Right was I would go to the tuck shop, which is like a on-campus store with candy, all that jazz. Yeah. Um, candy, chips, whatever. Um, and I would buy as much as I can from the tight shop. Um, obviously, that was the limit. And I would wait until maybe about seven or eight when I knew that all the local stores were shut. Uh-huh. And then maybe try and sell it off just so I can buy some pizza at the end of the night kind of thing. 
so, and sometimes people would wow. literally just give me money but <laughs> yeah i mean that, that was so, just like a little now, now this is it this is very interesting because you hear all entrepreneurs mention this i did yeah. the same thing when i was 12 years old i wanted a super nintendo color tv my mother was doing that so great so i said okay yeah how am i going to get this money right <laughs> And I yeah. ran out, yeah. knocked on doors. We started raking lawns. I got a couple of friends to help me. They're giving yeah. us tens, twenties, yeah. and it added nice, up yeah. to be two hundred something dollars in a, in a month or two. Yeah, know? by so, the end of the time. Yeah, now, exactly. now, what what yeah. what was the birth of that? Was it just the necessity of extra cash? Was it the pizza? Was it the food that you hated in the school? What was the birth of that desire? Because that's important for people to know, entrepreneurs. You know how we see things. Yeah, I, I I think every entrepreneur is different first, first and foremost. And for me, I would definitely say it was just at the end of the day, I knew I needed 10 bikes for a pizza. Okay. And that was it. So if I can make my way out to 10 bikes, don't forget, I already had a limited stock. I was good. <laughs> and I, yeah. I had sold my pride like at such a high rate that it was like, I just need to sell maybe three or four things and then I'm good. That way right. I save money from my tie shop account and I just sell maybe three bags of chips. It was uh, a clear uh, cost benefit type of thing. Like you saw yeah. the benefit, the desire, and look, the money solves this. If I can just get yeah. this. So that's yeah. very practical, now, but it's a seed of something. It's a seed of something. Yeah, it was. It was. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people definitely like, forget that because it was like I would occasion it would be like, literally like once a week when it was pizza night that I'd be going around hustling for money kind of thing. <laughs> like, and it was so funny because some kids were like, oh yeah, no, no I don't want anything but because I'm getting pizza ready. But I could give you a slice in return. So I understand what that transaction felt like all the time. Wow. Firstly, like they, a little microeconomy. Right, exactly, exactly. And that always felt good. Um, I never felt embarrassed about it. Like, I was really just myself, just doing dumb shit, just to try yeah. and, like, get a piece at the end of the night. <laughs> you know? And um, funny enough, I would never even, like, get the piece of my jeans. I would always, like, get, like, the cheap pieces. I had a little bit left over. So I can uh, go out that weekend and get some McDonald's, you know? Like, yeah. it was, like... It was, it was something that um, just somehow worked. Um, and then on top of that, like in my summers, actually, I, I remember I, I always wanted to get a new pair of socky cleats, boots for those uh -huh. on this part of the world. Right. Um, and what I would do was I would do paper rounds. So I would be like from like 13 to about 15, I'll be doing paper rounds every summer. That's classic. We've heard that story. Now, oh, yeah, right. But the funny thing is, like, you only get paid maybe about, like, seven bucks, eight bucks, ten bucks a week. Uh -huh. So, I mean, it's not even that much. But at the end of the day, it's cash. And you learn um, what that can do for you in the long term, right? Yeah. Um, and th that, that feeling of making the final transaction from your hand, the cash you worked so hard for all summer, waking up at four or five o'clock just to go cycle around the neighborhood and deliver right, papers. Right. You know, you get back and, you know, 
that's what that's where you do it um, and then you're get, and, you're able to give the thing that you desired or wanted yeah and you see it, this that to me is very important for yeah. success it's it's yeah. the connection between i can do these action steps and create this result in my yeah. life you know yeah. and i yeah. think a lot of people yeah. look at success as these big things like millionaire billionaire yeah. big company and all that but it's really yeah a uh, continuous process of setting these goals and achieving them, you know, these little things you want. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I guess for, I, from that, like, I, I wanted to always do something that was quite entrepreneurial. Like, that was, mm-hmm. like, my first taste of entrepreneurship. Got you. Um, not to say I'm super successful right now, because I, I don't know what success is, and I think it's such a subjective term, anyway. Yeah, um, that's deep. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I, and, I mean, and I and I even look at it as a process. They, they always say this yeah. old cliche uh, quote: "Success yeah. is a journey, not a destination." Yeah. Right, right. So people, when, people yeah. a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, and that's actually how I live and view success. I look at it like if you and I are discussing this, and we plan to do this, and we're discussing this, it was successful. Yeah right yeah exactly and, and then you exactly. stack up you stack up these these processes of success that that add up to a larger result dang that's how i view it yeah yeah you know? <laughs> exactly exactly and um th- that that is something that people who work in line to five and who have only ever seen that regular routine life they will mm. never understand that because mm. they're like well what are you doing it for right for me in that case if you're going to ask me that then i have to ask you why did you go to college right why 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 are you working this nine to five what's the end goal here is it just right. to survive yeah yeah it's it's the same thing like we all should have like a, maybe a destination to get to but it, it is also a process. You're working your way up to the top of the corporate ladder. I'm working my way up to the top of whatever it is that I want to get to or wherever it is I want to get to. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, it, it is definitely, um, it's based on perspective. And I think whatever you want to consider success to be is what you want. It's mm-hmm. not what I want. I'm not going to look at the guy who is chipping away for, I don't know, granite rock in the middle of the Northern region in Ghana and be like, Oh, well, yeah, you're not successful. The fight that he got right. up that morning That's and he's still digging for granite right. for, you know, yeah. he's going to own the entire um, piece of land that that granite sits on. That's worth millions of dollars to someone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so for me, that was my thing. Um, when I got to college, I was still looking and I was still okay. like hoping to maybe like find something. Obviously, I knew I had a visa issue, so I, I couldn't, well, not an issue, but I knew I had a visa and, to and work on. So where were you in school in college again? In the UK? I was out. No, I was in the U.S. at Roger okay. Williams University. Okay, let's back up then. So after high school, sorry, yes, after the boarding yes. school, high school, and all of that, yeah, yeah, that you you got accepted to, or how did that you, you applied? You went to a college. Yeah. University. 
So I had applied to some colleges in the U.S. Um, I think after I had a small taste of what living in the U.S. could be like, I spent the summer before my senior year at a camp at Yale. So oh, it kind okay. of like it gives you a good introduction to what college is like and how classes work. And, yeah, and it was also the Ivy League. So I really? mean, like for, for my parents, I was even like a bonus. Like I'm sending you to college in, in uh, yeah. uh, top school, right? You know? Right. So, um, <laughs> that, funny, right? They, they were like, yeah, like this, this will be good, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Actually, all my other cousins had also been through it. So, I mean, our family was very well acquainted with um, that summer camp. And we all, it's like a rite of passage right before college you go. Right. Kind of thing. Um, And uh, so that was one of the things I did. And I loved every second of it. I think it was a mixture of the girls <laughs> the life and <laughs> the life and what was yeah. your impression and here's a good question what was your pre- impression you you spent how many years in uh you grew up and then like okay tell me how many years in africa europe and then when you got to us oh all right so i had spent 18 years of my life in europe right 5 years in my life well, four years of my life in the U.S. and then went kind of so you hadn't actually three months in the U.K. before I came to Ghana. So you hadn't actually okay. So you hadn't actually lived as a child anything in Ghana before. It's all in the U.K. No, first. no. Okay, all so in go the on. U.K. All in the U.K. Okay, so, so this I am is the diaspora as you can get. Right. <laughs> yeah. So coming from U.K. to the U.S., what was your impression as an African growing up in Europe? coming to the United States, what did you see when you got there into the U.S.? What did you see that struck you the most about life in America, this place? <laughs> I think one thing that definitely struck me first and foremost. Um, and be completely honest, the, you know, <laughs> please. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think the level of freedom Okay. in the U.S. was a little bit beyond me. Really? I wasn't... Yeah, I mean, because for me, how it looked on the outside was you've let... And this is me being very, very honest here. Like, it was, yeah. you've let a lot of really quite irresponsible people have the responsibility to go off and do whatever they really want to do now and you mean even as young people but you mean like yeah like 17 so this is a common thing and okay so in the united states you're 17 years old you graduate high school you're 18 and you're going all the way across the country to live your own life as a college student you you know and this whole idea of starting your life at 18 and then being able to dream You can't drink until you're 21, but everybody's drinking, yeah, drinking I, already and partying right, already. Right, right. Now, like, I, I thought that was, like, really interesting because, for me, don't get me wrong, when I was younger, like, we would definitely underage drink and it would mm-hmm. be a lot of binge drinking. But it wouldn't be... Maybe it's just the people who I surround myself with. It wouldn't be to the point that... Um, 
we're going to say, oh, I'm going to take my dad's car out and drive around the neighborhood. And that <laughs> is something I saw a lot. Now, the space, second yeah. thing that really shocked, yeah, and the second thing that really shocked me was uh, the weed culture. Like at the time, I was just like, "What is this?" Like, yeah. literally, everyone and their grandmother was just kind of doing it. Um, and this was what year? In the UK, uh, roughly, people, uh, your college, like when you did that camp, and then uh, that was when I was seventeen, so two thousand and eleven. Okay. And then I moved to U.S. 2012. Right. So you're, you were coming in, I was born in 80, okay? So yeah. you were coming into a U.S. See, I saw hip-hop culture and the music and the popular culture grow yeah. from the 80s to the 90s into the 2000s. Yeah. Now we're at 2011. By that time, yeah. by that time, Snoop Dogg was already like an old man by this time, right? Oh yeah. When he oh, came yeah, out, sure. it was nineteen like yeah. nine, early nineties, like ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. yeah. So you got. When he was an two, OG. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so he'd already yeah. been an artist for like twenty some odd years. Yes. Yeah. So when you talk about weed culture, this was going on in America for a long time already, even before oh, that, yeah. since the sixties and seventies. Oh, yeah. But then, of course, popularized by rock and roll, hip hop, yeah. everything. Yeah. So, you know, it's- yeah, yeah. But but it, it is a really cool thing. I think when you look at it from the outside, um, with a limited perspective on how different cultures work, I think you really to accept after that period of really trying to understand and empathize with the people. Right, right. That this is very much a part of who they are. Yeah, yeah. This is just the way they were built. This is what God kind of <laughs> almost not necessarily gave them, but this is just yeah. what was the, presented to them, and they this just is the American way of life, man. Like, well, and I, and exactly, I, I, I never exactly. was. A, I was never really a weed smoker because I had the ambitions of playing football, soccer in college. Yeah. So I, yeah. I stayed yeah. as much away from it as I could personally. Yeah. But of course, yeah. everywhere around me, it was always yeah. there. You know, um, it was. It actually took yeah. a lot yeah. of discipline and a willpower yeah. not to indulge in. It made me a better person yeah. by being able to resist. And it made me stronger, yeah. but it was tough at times as a, as a teenager yeah. in the United States to not smoke yeah. weed. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like- not, yeah. It's so funny because like, our thing here in the UK was uh, I had a lot of my friends smoke cigarettes mm-hmm. like from a really young age. And now, obviously, like cigarettes in the UK is just, just such a common thing. Like, yeah, yeah. It, like, it is so common. Um, and you'll never really understand it the same if you're an American coming to UK kids. It's just like, why is everyone doing it? But it, it, it is what it is. And I think America, again, has its own way. And you can't try and like, tell it what to do you can't tell uncle sam you know listen your way of life isn't working so stop it it's so uncle sam rained already yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly exactly um so that was one of the things that definitely did shock me don't get me wrong after a while like 
you experiment with with these things too i mean you're only a college student it's tough like i said man it's not easy to resist it's yeah it's not it's not not. so yeah um but yeah man so you came in and and it's interesting we're having this discussion because i had the american mother the african father born and raised in the united states had never been to europe had never been to africa you had yeah. the African, complete total African parents grew up in the UK, now experiencing the United yeah. States, but had never really lived long. Did you visit Africa or just? Uh, oh yeah, I okay. Visit so you had touched African ground in the in, in the homeland, but oh, you yeah. just just oh, hadn't yeah. lived there. I hadn't lived there, and okay. it's a different beast. Got you. That is yeah. for sure. So. I so you had African images in your mind and African memories from the, the continent in your mind when you were exploring yeah, your education absolutely. and doing everything. Absolutely. And like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, when, when you're that young and you explore, um, as, as in like you go on holiday to these places and you go on holiday to like Ghana, you see family, you see friends, uh-huh. all that like you have a very very different perspective because quite frankly i came to ghana all the time and all it would ever be would just be parties parties mm. and fun and a, a shit ton of money around you like did that that influenced you to did that skew your perception so to say yeah, I would say so. I would, and it was so funny because anytime my friends would ask me about what Ghana is like, I'd be like, it's definitely not all elephants and lions. It's <laughs> definitely not all mud huts. I will say that for free. Right. Like, it is above and beyond anything you could ever imagine. I mean, you go to some of these beautiful hotels in this area, in uh-huh. Ghana. You go to beautiful hotels. There's a hard rock cafe in Lagos. Right. That should tell you there's money there, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and until, you know, you're able to like really acknowledge that, then you're always going to have this perspective of what Africa should be. And, and then also Africa is such a big place too. Right. Know, and so. there's also the discrepancy between the haves and the have nots and all of that. As Nots, well. yeah. Of course. You know, of course. And that, yeah. that is always confusing too, because there's some parts that are super wealthy and then some parts that are still yeah. in poverty. So it's like, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and from my exactly. perspective, in the United States, we were always shown as students, as citizens, as people watching the news, we were always shown the worst, to clarify for everybody out there, we were always yeah. shown the worst aspects of Africa. Yeah. The only thing that saved me from under, for, to understand the real Africa was my connection to my father and my family that caused yeah. me to look into it more. And even with that, yeah. it was still tough because I had family members yeah. in all kinds of situations in Lagos. It was yeah, still tough exactly, exactly. because then I'm like, yeah. I know a lot of people are struggling. I know the electricity. I knew all the facts of some of the issues, electricity going yeah. out and this and that. Yeah. But then I also yeah. knew that there was business people and there was people that had yeah. big companies yeah. and money and stuff yeah. too. So it, it was tough, man. Yeah. It's the perceptions yeah. versus reality and everything. Yeah. I, I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that, and this, is, this particularly goes out to everyone who is not black going to Africa mm-hmm. um, 
if you're on a plane uh, going to Africa and there are several white people there going by themselves, it means there's money there. Mm. And a lot of it. This isn't a joke. This is just, just reality. So don't go with the perspective that oh yeah, there's no money, but you'll still see another white guy there or you'll see an Indian guy there or you'll see a Chinese guy there. Yeah. No, and it this, means that there's yeah. billions of dollars sitting in that, on that continent. And, yeah, sadly, that and sadly, one of the things that I would hopefully like to help do is bridge that gap so that African-Americans understand that about Africa because a lot of African-Americans are completely separated from the idea that there's wealth and success and fulfillment and purpose for them on the continent of Africa. They feel like there is no destiny there. A lot of them do, but now there's more that are starting to realize that. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Can I I be honest with you? Um, Uh In terms of Africans, Americans, one thing I did notice is also about being in the U.S. is there was a lot of hostility towards... Africans. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the middle of all of that, bro. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was also, it was very, very strange. It was sometimes quite awkward. I mean, like, obviously, because I had this English ice and I had this very English background, um, I would watch some of my African friends and family get treated completely differently mm-hmm. um, because they're African. It was, it was almost like, the African Americans did sometimes look at us Africans and be like, well, you're not really like one of us, like type of thing. Meanwhile, they, they don't realize oh. that we still have to face the exact same challenges. We have probably even deeper obstacles that we have to face sometimes just mm-hmm. to get to um, wherever we want to go. And, you know, it's so funny that there was a crazy story I read online today uh, about, a Nigerian man, he moved to the UK. He moved to a northern town in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Um, and he set up a food van, a, f- okay. a food joint in, in Manchester. And this, this literally happened like in the last 24 hours, right? And this white guy somehow had a problem with him and even stole his van and blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. He woke up one morning to find that his van had been completely burned down. This wow. is someone who came to the country with nothing. He's an African guy. He's not a Caribbean guy. So, right. You know, he's not a, a traditional English or whatever, but um, this is what happened to him. This is mm. his story. His whole life, he had to work just to make $3,000, which to a lot of people, they'll spend $3,000 on a holiday for it. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy had grafted his ass off. Firstly, yeah. just to survive. Secondly, yeah. to make sure he had water in his belly every day. Yeah. And thirdly, to just give himself the best opportunity at life. At he life, started this yeah. very, very humble um, venture that had been burnt to the ground. Now, he had told his story on Instagram. Uh-huh. And obviously, baked up traction, and his story went viral. Um, he was aiming just to raise six thousand, just literally just to get back on his feet and breathe get again, business. Yeah. yeah, just to breathe. Yeah, and um, you know, 
he managed to raise, I think, something like 40,000 in 20 hours or something. I mean, but that should tell you that that people um, from Africa, yeah, there's some that have different backgrounds to others, but we are all the same. We are still sharing the same skin color because of race. Our mm-hmm. opportunities are already down there. Like right. we we don't we have to scrap. Mm-hmm. We have to pick out the pieces. But I, I think within all of that, that should give us the opportunities to be the most creative and the most innovative in whatever we're doing. Um, Absolutely. And I, I think technically that's why we probably are the best rappers that's probably why we are <laughs> among the no, best fashion yeah, yeah. designers and, and, and this is the thing yeah. that i want to say as well uh for african-americans islanders brazilians africans mm-hmm. once we understand what we can do with and for each other and what knowledge we can share with and for each other and what skills we can share with and for each other there's basically no limit to what could be accomplished by the bridging and the connection of our, of our cultures, our experiences, and our, and our common denominator, which is the African continent. Because we're all descendants from the African continent. And that's why when it comes to race, I really try to help people understand the most important thing is understanding your heritage and where you're a descendant of. And like yes. you said, uh, yes. a, lot of, a lot of African-Americans, yes. it's really not because they consciously want to be separate from Africa. It's because they've been consciously educated, conditioned, and, and, and yeah. held in sort of a bubble to, to maintain yeah. beliefs and perpetuate ideas that they are separate from the continent of yeah. Africa. And then, yeah. then as that I'm- goes on, it's just... There's a few people that come over to Africa, a few people that come to the United States, like my father, you, other people. And there's people that know both sides, but it's yeah. not enough to skew a mass amount of people to yeah. change, you know. But yeah. as time goes, I mean, hopefully we're all educating each other, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing even this right now. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think one thing that's crazy about us, us as a race is that we, we've really and truly still don't understand the power we possess. Mm, if we really wanted to, the black global community <laughs> can shut down the world economy. Can end <laughs> it right now. Just collapse. Start done. over. Just start, start over. Again. Hey, hey, time start out. Again. We're about to go build Wakanda now. It's time for, we're going to yeah. just time out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight up, you know, like, if like if we really want to, we can do it. And you know, I even encountered this problem today. Uh, I was talking with my cousin, and we set up a uh, a Spotify um, for the fam. Now okay. I was I had my Spotify account already, but I was just kind of like updating it. I hadn't used it in a while. And as I was logging in, they said, "Oh well, you can't use this in this part of the world." Really? Let me ask you a question. Do you know how many Afro beats? Or how many African artists are on Spotify? Probably their music a lot. is on. Now, yeah. here, here's my thing to to us: take your music off uh, and just watch it crumble. Uh, just watch it come go forward to pieces until we have a piece of the pie. Wow! 
This is like this is yeah. And the thing is, the worst part about all of this is that the artists have the power just to be like, wait, my fan base is in Africa, right? <laughs> like the. the like now, I, have, I, I shit you not right now. Have they have they issued? Continue, a, I'm sorry. Have they issued a, any type of public statement as to why they are not in Africa, as far as accounts being opened in Africa in these places where they have artists on their platform? Now that is something I personally don't. We might, know. We might have to um, look into that and see because yeah. If they there have, has to be a reason. Yeah, because it, even if there is a reason, obviously it's probably not fully justified, but whatever way that it is justified, that is a moment that those artists could then yeah. make those demands. And, you know, because that, I don't know. Just I, I, I know that PayPal, for example, wasn't in Nigeria for a long time because of a lot of scams and things like that. Yeah. And, and I understand it. I've had, you know... Things even come to my email from Nigerians. They're like, wait a minute, you don't see my name? Like, I'm one of us. Like, you gotta scare me too. Yeah. Like, come on, man. <laughs> At least give me a break. You know, but yeah, right. But yeah. you under but when you understand where it's coming from, it's like, okay, you know, this is just something that eventually our people will have to evolve beyond and, and figure out. But I do know there's a lot of payment people now working in Ghana. Nigeria, trying to create yeah. those electronic digital payments to make the flow of business faster. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Th- there are so many now, and it is, <laughs> it is amazing because there's an entire banking system outside of banks here. I, mm. I will tell you for a fact, there's probably more money circulating through mobile apps and through mobiles in general and on this continent than there is going through banks. Wow. Now, obviously that's a bit of an exaggeration uh-huh. um, <laughs> when I, hey, no, I should I... reassess that, that thought, but um, no, it, I think the people who really use banks are definitely large corporations, obviously, because okay. they need to document their finances and right, they obviously right. have shareholders and stakeholders to and stocks adhere to. And, you know, markets. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But the people have their own economy and that mm. is directly through their phones. Um, mm. And it, it is amazing what we've been able to do. We've been able to democratize the entire banking system for everyone to really benefit. Um, wow. Well, that, it, it, it is. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. you're going to say last no, point there and I'm going to ask you about the no, uh, business. No worries. But, but that is something that is really and truly powerful, in my opinion. Got you. Okay, so now we, we've really gotten that depth in terms of what drove you and um, your experiences in the United States. You know, you had the college experience. You went four years in the United States, right? Yep. yep. And, and which school was that again? Roger Williams University. And that's in, I'm not familiar with what city that's in. Rhode Island. Okay, so it's a it's a smaller school, maybe it's, a private yeah, college. Yeah, small. Rhode yep, Island. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then from there, you you went straight into marketing. I'm trying to jump to no. Paradise Sun Snacks, but I don't want to jump Sun too snacks. much. 
But at the same time, I want to make sure people understand your journey because I think it's important yeah. that you know you didn't just like, yeah. it's not like overnight. Just go from A to B. Yeah. No, so I, uh, I worked with my dad. I went back to London for about a month, uh, a couple of months, and I was working with my dad uh, for a little bit. Uh, before my cousin actually said, listen, like, there is an opportunity here. And he actually had been working with Luke Belair. A, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the brand. It's a rosé champagne s- brand. I saw it on some, some Instagram stuff. Is it still out there promoting? Yes, 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 yeah. yes. It was, basically, Rick Ross is like the brand ambassador. So oh, okay. For a long time, it was on like a lot of music videos. And I now, think that's right coming now, out of like, Europe. That that's the brand coming out. Uh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and um, but but the owner Brett Barish, I think he's an American. Um, okay, he, his family come from wine country, and um, yeah, they've really done well for themselves. Um, so um, he teamed up with Red Cross and set up this brand, I guess. And my cousin for a long time was the sole distributor in Ghana, uh, and so he okay. had become super super successful, and. After a while, I think his contract with them was either expiring or whatever. I, I don't really want to say anything. I no, no need to. Um, yeah. um, no, I, I, I don't know what happened uh, on that side. But um, he was like, listen, I'm starting a new venture and I'm going to start selling uh, some more booze as a distributor. Um, why don't you come on board with me and kind of learn how business works? Cause I know you've been interested in business. Ah, okay. And so for me, that was just like, I mean, this is like a no brainer. Like I finished school, like, you know how like African parents always say, Oh yeah, go to school and you can get all the girls you want. You can get all the money. You, want, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I actually have a cousin. I've heard that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And everything yeah. happens so, after the graduation. Yeah, exactly. Right. Little did I know that my, well, at least my mother definitely did not agree with it. But I was like, yeah, this is something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I ended up moving over here and I started working with my cousin for a little bit. Um, and this is in about, Accra. Accra got yeah, it, right? this is in Accra. Yeah. 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 I had worked with him for a good like six months. Um, and actually, one day he, had come back uh, from a trip and he had gone through quite a personal battle. And so he said, you know, do you know what? I just need to get out of town. And he went to the US uh, to meet up with his brother and my brother. And they just kind of like put themselves in solitary confinement. Hmm. That means no phones, no uh, no, nothing. They're just in this apartment, um, really trying to find the meaning of life. Um, so this was like uh, a spiritual kind of like, as we say, awakening, existential crisis, maybe like, yeah, who am absolutely. I? What I, am I doing? Yeah. What is all this about? Yeah. Need to find yeah. my purpose. Yeah, that that's exactly what it was. And he had gone. So by this time, I was in Ghana. So he had left. Uh, the business to me, he had shut 
one of the doors for one of the businesses and started another venture, which we were both working on, which was actually a barbershop. So that was like my okay. first kind of experience um, bringing business from conception to, um, to reality. Um, and he kind of left that in my hands. He was like, listen, like, I need to fuck off. I need to get out of here. Um, so I'm leaving this to you. So I obviously went through it and got the business up and running, um, the barbershop up and running. And um, I think during that period, I kind of found my love for creating and creativity. Um, and I had started getting into a little bit of interior design okay. um, and doing a little bit of work on the side. Um, I had been commissioned by a friend of my cousins and she was like, yeah, listen, I'll pay you and I'll help you. She didn't pay me. <laughs> Not one dime. I'll say that for about four or five months. Uh-huh. Um, so, so you were, you were doing some marketing things in this process to try to get customers, to try to sell things, uh, to try to... No, not really. I mean, like, the barbershop, like, everyone always needs to cut their hair. Okay, so as long so as people was, know that it's there, it was just... You just, just were right helping there. it keep going. Yeah, I was essentially, like, manager director of a barbershop, which um, is... I mean, for me, I was just really happy because... I had started, pretty much started this business alone. Um, a lot of pressure and a lot of like stress that came along with it. I had to obviously yeah. deal with employees being the barbers and ensuring that they obviously got their money across when they could and, and things like that, which was also very stressful. After a while, my cousin came back and took over. But um, during this like one month period or so, um, of my cousin being away probably the one time he did call anyone it would either be his mother or his dad or for some reason on this very occasion it was me so it was my cousin uh his brother my other cousin and my brother okay and they're like oh yeah like we're literally just talking like we came up with this concept and um, we want to hear what you've been thinking. We've literally been thinking about business ideas and they told me about their business idea that they wanted to run over here. And I was like, that's honestly a phenomenal idea. Like, um, fast food, uh, food truck company in Ghana, fast food. First of all, when you're talking about timing in Africa, no one has to say more, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So for them to have really established a system that works, and conceptualized it that was just incredible and then my other cousin was just like oh yeah by the way what happened to um yeah i think they were just kind of catching up and they're like oh yeah what happened to your grandfather and uh how's he doing because i remember he used to do these like he used to like sun toast like little wow so they they were they did you know about that i had known like he'd been doing this for at least a solid 20 years. Okay, so they just asked you about him. Yeah. And you were like, yeah. okay, you know, and that, that's how this kind of like, okay, I'm, yeah, seeing where, so, I'm seeing where this is going now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so... That's very interesting. They, they, they were like, oh, yeah, so like, what's, what's kind of going on here? Like, I mean, like, is, is she still doing it? I mean, and then my brother's like, yeah, maybe you should like, 
pick up an oven and like try it. That'd be a pretty cool idea, right? At like some reason in my head, I was just like, I don't think they even realize like quite how big. Like I, I don't know. Like when someone so, plants something in my head, my mind was racky races, just fucking running. Like so, you basically had I saw the the light bulb moment. Yeah, this is a real I mean, moment. Was, this was huge. This yo, was like everything. This skies like, opened up. Like the sun was clear. <laughs> yo, like that's yes. powerful, man. Yeah, absolutely. It was like. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I wonder if anyone else is doing something like this. So that night, I went on my laptop and I just typed in whatever I needed to type in just to kind of do some research. And I found that no one is doing it. The concept Mm. that they're talking about, the method um, is... It was almost like dead, dead weight. And I was like, I, I, this is it. Like, this is it. Um, and so the next day, I ordered an Uber, went straight to my grandparents' house. And then he's right there in Accra? In Accra, yeah. So, like, he's probably about 30 minutes away. And the okay. problem is there's so much traffic. So it could be 30 okay. minutes, it could be an hour <laughs> and a half. That's another story, so, right? <laughs> yeah, that's another story. So I was like, no, I, I just need to find out more. And as long so, as you get there. <laughs> well, as, as long as I get there. So I got there and I had pressed record on my, uh, on my phone and just asked him everything about this process, how to do it, like wow, all of that. Um, and... So you started your then research like, and development. Right, right. Immediately. And so I was like, oh, yeah, can I take one of your ovens? And he was like, yeah, sure. I mean, he ha- I'm not joking. He probably has about 50 or 60, maybe 80 in his house. Now, when we say and ovens, so, are you talking about what you're actually putting outside in the sun? Yes, yes. Okay. Exactly. This is... This is for everybody that's listening, this is a yeah. essentially a solar oven, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much what it's it is. It's not a yes. gas. It's not yes. gas. It's not electricity. It, no. So what are we talking? No what nonsense. Kind of, what kind of <laughs> what kind of structure is this? Is it like some kind of metal? I see some pictures yeah. on your Instagram. Like, yeah. explain so, that so, for us a little bit. So it's pretty much that. So basically, what it is and now. I'm going to try and put it in layman's terms as much as possible. That would help. <laughs> um, uh, but what it is, is, is it's a box with reflectors. And okay. let's put it this way. When you're sitting in a car um, okay. on a really hot day, or no, when, yeah, when you're sitting in the car on a really hot day, you put your windows up, the heat from the sun traps itself in that car and it gets excruciatingly hot yeah that's why they say never do that when there's a dog in the car never do it when there's right, a child in the car. right 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 you will kill the the animal right you will um, suffocate and basically. so yeah the heat right the, like yeah. sauna like a sauna basically right like dry exactly heat. exactly yeah yes so 
essentially that's what the science is, is basically um, manipulating sunlight and directing it into a concentrated area um, mm. that is covered and secured um, that transfers that light into heat energy. Mm. Um, and this is where you have to say, thank God for architecture school. Thank God for all, the, ah, <laughs> all these so other you, classes. So you that had, I wasn't so good at. Got you. That's, that's amazing yeah. because even, yeah. even Steve Jobs talked about that, like along the way on yeah. his path, there were pieces yeah. that later he applied to Apple. So, you know, you're, so you're going to yeah. tell us this, this uh, connection finally, the purpose, hopefully, for some of the torture you yes. went through. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. So that, that was one of those things. So I remember when I went to, when I went to school and studied architecture, uh, I took a sustainability class because that was also something that I was just, I've always been what really was the class again? about that. Well, sustainability sustainability class okay. yeah yeah so it was uh, a three-part class you take one like last few semesters or whatever and um i had taken the class and one of the classes was looking in depth at the science of how to solve sustainable problems mm. and what that forces you to do is it forces you to think about how uh, solar panels work, how wind energy works, and what you know the percentage of energy that gets transferred across, and it, it gets into the real yeah. nitty gritty and the science and the math behind um, mm-hmm. uh, sus- you know sustainable projects. Um, and and th- this is one of the things that um, I took a keen liking into, and. If anything, I think maybe that's something I definitely should have uh, done some more of. If I could have, definitely mm-hmm. for sure, I, I definitely would have made that like so funny, right? A, how a minor, would, yeah. How would you know, right? Like that's the thing about yeah, how life. Would you know? How would you even how know? Would you know? Like, yeah, yeah. It's always better but, in hindsight. Yeah, but funny yeah. enough, that was the last ever class I took in college. Gotcha. Uh, so. Um, that, that, that was one of the things, one of the classes I, I truly and passionately loved and admired. And um, I remember the final class was you had to come up with a concept that obviously mm. reduces your carbon footprint. Now, I remember everyone in the class was coming up with such, in my opinion, terrible ideas. <laughs> this is me, like, I'm in my element. I'm like, you can solve business problems here. You, like, I, I was, like, suggesting let's set up a vertical farm uh, ah, okay. inside one of the old school buildings and things like that. Like, l- let's, like, do something good. Like, let's, let's come up with something, like, ingenious. Right. And make it happen kind of thing. Like, um, but the group I was with was, unfortunately, or fortunately, they were the, they, they were, like, you know, the kids that just didn't try hard. They were the kind of stoners. And I had to just kind of, take what I can get and just kind of right. do a very simple project, but just ensure that we got that A grade, which right, I think we right. did. I'm pretty sure we did. Um, so yeah, that, that was like one of the things that um, was really frustrating because I didn't get to work on my 
awesome sustainability projects that I was so keenly interested in because gotcha. I didn't have the resources. Um, and so now I had the resources. I had the oven and I took my grandfather's recipe and I was like, let me try this out. So day one, I tried it out. <laughs> Terrible. Why? Because I didn't realize how hot the sun could get. Don't tell me you burnt them. I burnt them. <laughs> I, I burnt the crap. You burnt them. Ah, that's that funny joke about <laughs> cooking, right? Like, as you know, when you start cooking and you don't know anything, you're baking a cake or whatever, you burn it, right? Yeah. You did it with the sun. Yeah. I did it with the sun. And I think at, at that point, it was just like, Damn, this, this is powerful. This is just going to be... <laughs> yeah. This is going to be fucking great. That's not no <laughs> joke, man. You know, it's yeah. like, I remember as a kid, right? We used to always play with the little magnifying glasses. Yeah. Did you ever do this as a kid? Yes. You a magnifying yeah. glass and then you... you, you no, well, actually, I saw this on like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, we used to do that as kids like that. in the yeah. neighborhood. Like, we directed <laughs> to like a little pile of dry leaves. And you try yeah. to create a fire, you know, like yeah. And we knew yeah. that, you know, who would have known? Like you it could work. Yeah. To, I mean, you hear about it like in camping and stuff. Yeah. But now, let me, this is an but, important question: Your grandfather was this something yeah. that was done as a tradition in Ghana, in other African countries, or was this something that he kind of like? was uniquely kind of just doing and nobody really took it seriously and he just liked it. What was the story that, on that? Like, that is exactly what happened. He, um, he's a quirky old man. Um, <laughs> and one thing I will say is that he just loves to read and he likes to find natural solutions for wow. so this, quite so he, frankly, natural problems. So he, it, this was some, this was uh, an experimental invention that he had been kind of playing with a little bit, trying to, yeah, I, I, I don't guess. know if he had so business actually, ambitions with it, but he just, no, no, he had no business ambitions with it. One mm-hmm. thing I do know is that he had the recipe um, he had become diabetic and he needed uh, okay. something to eat that oh, okay. kind of... So he was solving you know, a problem. That, he was about solving he, he a problem. He was solving a problem. He gotcha. was solving a problem for himself. But uh-huh. I think when he read into this company that was trying to um, eliminate the use for natural gas by cooking and, and he found these ovens... Mm. He was like, yeah, I, I need to get these. And so essentially he became like a bit of like a brand ambassador. He bought like, I don't know, he probably bought like a hundred. Wow. And he just kind of hoarded them in his house. He's <laughs> definitely not a good salesman. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he he did, like, he Sometimes doesn't understand. Different types, yeah. Different types of mindset. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He doesn't understand why no one cares about sustainability, but he doesn't realize that Ghanians, uh, that, that, you know, we have our needs, we have our requirements. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it was. And he, he just, he didn't understand that. Um, so he just had 50 or 60 at home. And he would live, like, I, I should make time, I'll take your picture. Yeah, it'd be great to, to see like, that. He cooks, well, my grandmother cooks, like, soups, 
she cares for whatever in these like things, and it is like pretty awesome. I'll be honest with oh, you. Oh, so they're not only um, for dry chips or something like that. It's, it these things no. can be used for other types of cooking. Yeah, they can be used for anything. They can wow. be used for anything. Um, and it, it, it's it's an amazing like little device. But again, the company is like dying out, and I like I have, you know, I have these ovens that have kind of been sitting in my grandfather's place for the last 30 years or so that I've just kind of rebooted and mm. brought back from the dead kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I was so excited to be able to, to use this thing. And I had learned how to make his chips eventually after these so after burning burning them <laughs> yeah how yeah, many minutes did then you get like a timing you gotta like got yeah i mean how did that work it's like is it a certain so for me combination I, I, I'm, I'm i'm a strange person because i well, i'm not a strange person but i i am very specific i always believe Jay that do. there's oh i think yeah i think it just yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, I always believe that there's a science to to everything you do. I I think especially when it comes to cooking, there's a science to it. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why um, you taste protein tastes the same every single time. And so I I really focused on the first three or four months um, on the science and understanding the science of the sun and understanding the science of what temperature it needs to get to like understand, so far? understanding make sure you understanding never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your together. support and I want a free guide to secrets of success it. under the and sun wow. visit onoronbooks.com slash success and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your email inbox now back to the show and people would eat it and it would be great. And I tried selling it, but I some some reason people didn't understand why something so small would be so pricey. But they didn't understand, like, this is a labor thing right here. Like, I, I put my okay. heart and soul into it. <laughs> like, and I, what I, should, I should say, I should go back. I used to sell it in a jar and it would be, like, chopped up, like, okay. cubes almost. Okay. So that, that's how it used to come. Now, um, was it always coconuts? It was that, always that coconuts. Was, that was in your mind like the best, because that was the healthy element that he was using, right? Yeah. That he wanted to, yeah. to bake. Yeah. Um, so he actually used coconut and, uh, what is it? Coconut and ginger. Yeah, so that that is uh, what he used to use all the time, and so I just kind of tweaked it and took out the ginger because uh, the ginger here is a lot stronger than um, the ginger you can find in Europe or Asia. Um, it is very good, but it, it is you okay. need to be able to use it very wisely. Okay. And so I um, decided, all right, let me continue doing this because it works really well, and then. I had a friend who 
caught wind of this and gave it to his mom and his mom loved it and she was like yeah i need some more of this and she ordered i don't know i think it was probably like a hundred or something hundred <laughs> jars, jars, jars. so you had that time and now, i was like let, let's talk about pricing a little bit because you had this story back in the day of selling the candies and the things for the pizza and all of that you know it seems like you know that that seed now was starting to take birth again here you are again creating this little uh, economy of these snacks what was the price that people were accustomed to paying in Ghana for a snacky type of item? Or did they even have that type of thing? How did they perceive it as ter- in terms of something to eat? And how- what were they willing, what did they think was the price they wanted to pay for it versus where you were putting it at? So definitely, I think, the thing is, Ghanaians, we don't like to spend money. And no matter how wealthy we get, we don't like to spend money on on things, I mean, only if it's to be like a short service or like to show, oh yeah, I got some, then they would definitely drop go up for that. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember I started pricing at around, I think it was like five, five CDs, which okay, five CDs. literally not even like $1. Okay, like, yeah, that's about like pro- Yeah, I mean like it is nothing. That's pretty low. Um, I mean, it's not like you were you were going crazy like, no, no, absolutely not. Bear in mind that my overhead at this point was probably about four CDs. To get the coconut, more. you had to get the coconuts. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I would time. Say it was more like time and labor, um, right? And then on top of that, they would sometimes say, oh, yeah, can you deliver it to me? So I had to okay. fight it in. All the, I wasn't making money on it. Like, I right, think it was definitely right. more... Um, let me just try and get them to see what I'm doing and then maybe I can jack my price up a little bit. Um, okay. So I gave it to them and... So she had these big, massive orders? and Yeah, I had this big, massive order. And I landed at a position where it was rainy season. Oh! <laughs> right, like, the day that she put in the order, it was a sunny day, perfect... <laughs> I had maybe stock of probably about 20 units. I had to make the rest of the 80 units. Now, it rained for two or three straight weeks. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> what happened, but it just happened to be the case. And eventually, no, okay. actually, I, I did have maybe three or four good days, and I managed to finish the order and get it to her. But it made me think, like, this is a challenge. It's going to be a big challenge and I need to find a way to offset this. Um, Right. And eventually I I think we put in place the right um, precautions and methods and um, the right structure to be able to work around these issues and make sure that we have stock going through the winter months. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that was the next big thing that we had to concentrate on. Um, but I would definitely say that that was a big learning curve and I had to like really rethink and restructure how I'm going to do this. Okay. So what I had done was I had taken the chips from those like little chopped up, tiny little small like cubes, cubes tiny uh-huh. cubes. Uh-huh. Um, and I had said, 
we're going to have to scrap this and we're going to have to make it the regular way of making coconut chips. Firstly, mm-hmm. because of, of two reasons. Mainly because of the time it took to cook. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, because people would always ask, oh, what is it? <laughs> um, and I spent maybe about two or three mornings outside my gym kind of just selling it in my best wear um, to the gym goers. And I'm sure like, people would like laugh at me and be like, oh, look at this kid. Like, Jesus now, <laughs> are, there, are there people in, in Ghana that have, like, there's like, conven- like, you know, convenience stores that have your typical junk foods like uh, barbecue chips and uh, Lay's potato chips and all of that there already? I, I imagine it to be there already. No, absolutely. Maybe it's not. They're, they're I don't know how much were some. Was there Sorry? a lot of that? Okay, so how much was there the idea of convenience foods? As you know, in the United States, it's normal. You know, you go to a gas station, there's all the Doritos and the chips and the candies yeah. and chocolate and nuts. So, I mean, I can imagine, like, you know, I don't know. What was it like there in terms of that kind of food, like snacking type of thing? Well, one thing I realized pretty quickly, actually, was that a convenience store would probably be my worst customer. Why? Because I wouldn't make any money from them because I would have to charge them as low as possible to get the masses to buy. Mm. Um, secondly, the way they kept the products would have meant that it could have gone stale very quickly. And I didn't have time. the yeah. all the equipment to ensure that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have the packaging to ensure it wasn't going to happen. Um, and then also, I had to be really, really cautious of the fact that these people um, at the convenience stores, they have so many other products that are so common that when someone looks at coconut chips, which I realize, Ghanaians, we don't really eat coconut chips like that. <laughs> uh-huh. It's definitely like something from the expat community. I'm so sorry about that. Okay, and it's right. definitely something that the expats um, consume a lot more, or not necessarily just expats, but it's a, it's it's unfortunately in the United States we call it a health food item. Yeah, you know, and and, and to yeah. me, I always thought this was sad and unfortunate, but because of industry and capitalism in the United States, everything that's normal in the grocery stores is processed junk food sugar, fructose, corn syrup. And then when you want something like truly nutritious, you go to this other little side store. Of course, they have Whole Foods now, but it used to be a other little side store that had all the vitamins and herbs and like natural dry fruits and stuff like that. And that was called the health food store, you know? And, and this, yep. is, this is the thing is like, you're helping to turn around this idea that we should just only subject ourselves to snack items or, or, or small foods that we can eat in between meals. And it's like at a gas station and it's processed and has all these chemicals in it. It's making us sick. You know, it's, it's creating ailments in our bodies more and more we consume it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is one thing that I, I wish was more embedded in our culture here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, for some reason, we don't seem to have a problem, like, in terms of health in Ghana. I mean, mm-hmm. 
you never hear of someone being diabetic. I mean, my grandfather, yeah, because he actually gets himself chased up, but you don't hear the regular mm-hmm. person being um, diabetic, or we don't hear them like getting cold or flu. For them, it's just like, oh, they were coughing one or two days and they yeah. take herbal medicines, you know, yeah. like traditional yeah. herbal medicines, and they're fine again. So they can mm-hmm. go back to eating um, the things that are unhealthy and, and things like that. Um, but to be fair, we do eat a lot of natural foods. Um, okay. We eat from the ground and we eat from our homes. When I say from our homes, um, in Africa, uh, definitely sub-Saharan African I can speak of, Nigeria, you guys are one of the biggest producers of cassava. So you eat <laughs> cassava and it's not processed. Yeah. It doesn't have any, no, none of that, no, is cassava. It's really is yeah. what you get. Um, you guys have huge fisheries there, um, very successful fisheries, selling tuna and mm-hmm. um, sardines, whatever you have, you can get there. Um, tilapia. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think, like, for me to be a part of this, change the narrative um, is a big thing because I think I'm starting to make people a little bit more aware of really what they're eating and Absolutely. how their foods are made and processed and, 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 you know, manufactured. And that is all I want to do. Um, that, that is literally mm-hmm. like my ultimate goal. If that's, that's my the mission. step in life, then yeah. if that's my, my mission, um, I'll happily do that. Um, um, because I, I do believe that we're doing so much more harm eating from all these places who, I mean, especially in relation to being sustainable. Um, yeah. The snacking and food, packaged food industry is probably one of the biggest offenders mm. of emitting <laughs> carbon uh, dioxide into the atmosphere. But yeah. Everyone's like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. And here I am, little old me, <laughs> saying, actually, there's so much you can do. Right. You're just not doing anything. You're just um, not doing You're it. not looking at more innovative ways to um, make this in the right way. Now, obviously, my processes will only get better and they'll only improve um, right. with time and with technology. Um, but even right now, I mean, I'm just so happy that I can happily say that I've saved trees. Mm. You know, I, I ensure that things are good for the environment. Um, mm. And, and that, that's, again, that's just my goal. That's just what I became passionate about and what I began to love because I found it to be such a good idea, um, not just financially, but also, and most importantly, um, environmentally. Um, you know, and I, I think that's one thing that the good old herb forces you to do, especially when you, you, you go to school in the US and people are a lot more conscious of, uh, you know, being a, a, a clean economy and being a clean right. uh, environment and a good people um, towards the environment. So you started, so you really started going away from the stores and stuff and then back to, like you say, you were in the front of a gym. Um, that's kind of what drew me in that circle, though, of asking you, I didn't yeah. mean to deviate too much, but you were trying to, you, you realized that you couldn't go the same way as the junk food, processed food sellers with the gas stations and the corner stores and everything. So then 
it's like you have this more healthier option. You thought that it would be yeah. good at the uh, like in front of gyms and and <laughs> things yes, like that yes, where people exactly, work out. Exactly so. But then you said like you changed the shape of it or something. Did you chop up? Like you changed yeah, it to be yeah, something where they recognize the just to make it efficient. Okay. Sorry. To make it efficient or to make them recognize it or both. To make it efficient and make it recognizable. So it was it was two yeah. reasons, uh, and also I realized that. I was definitely losing a lot of money. And one thing I will tell you for sure is that um, I actually started the company with 50 CDs, which is probably about 10, I want to say 10 bikes. Wait, 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 wait. You mean, you mean the whole thing? <laughs> the whole thing. So you, 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 so everybody listen, this is, this is like grassroots entrepreneurs like literally grassroots <laughs> so yeah. you got like you got the, the the ovens from your grandfather okay yeah. that's that's a family donation you got the coconuts where were you getting the coconuts from did you have like a family that so, had trees or, or you know? actually the, i think my grandfather right at the beginning he gave me about five coconuts so okay. that was okay. pretty lucky right. now i was telling you that, that my cousin had kind of left me in charge of this business while he was abroad and things like that. Um, he, um, yeah, I, I had obviously like not been paid from my interior design job. Okay. Um, so I like kind of had to go back to the drawing board. I was like forced to now, were go back you, to the drawing board. Were you living with family at the time to kind of help bump Yeah, I was things? living with family. That helps a little I bit, right? And, and from what I understand, like in Africa, that's more common, you know, because there's a little more of that natural flow of people, family members, you know, there's always, I don't know if the, the statistics, but people say there's less homeless people uh, when it comes to these, when it comes to African countries, because somebody knows somebody that can help somebody have somewhere to stay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is Even if you're sure. broke. I, I think... <laughs> Also, the problem that we definitely face in, in Ghana is that the uh, real estate market is is complete outreach. It's probably more expensive uh, okay. than uh, living in London. It okay. is, and the wow. thing is, you Strange. can't pay monthly. You have to pay upfront, which is yeah, maybe annually. Legal, but you have you have to pay annually. Yeah, so if if you okay. have if you're renting an apartment for I don't know one thousand dollars a month. Um, for say two or three years, you have to pay all of that. Oh, you mean one like a couple of years at a time, not just one? Yeah, you have to pay whatever you've agreed upon. If you say two years, you have to pay that off. Oh, if you wow. say one that's year, a, you have to pay that off right before you move. Look, in. look, look, that's a drawback for an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, a big especially, so especially I, I you're was, starting up something is like. Hey man, sorry. Yeah. Uh, exactly, exactly. So I, I was already like pushed back right into the corner here. So like, you're talking about ten US dollars, fifty CDs. I I was down to my last ten dollars. <laughs> like wow, after man. that, it was it was That's nothing. It. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> Benito, to, like after that, you have to start selling the shirt off your back. 
<laughs> you for real, for real. Like I was not going out like I I was backed against the wall over here. And so I had this last fifty dollars. I had done all my experiments with the coconuts that my grandfather had given me and things like that. I spent a solid yeah seven eight days just like constantly working at this uh, taking all the experiments and you know writing in my notebooks all the notes like all the mad that. science um, and then <laughs> yeah and then i managed to buy some coconuts myself and start producing um and i i would sell it in like a, a, a plastic bag Okay. Like a, a small, like clear, like you know, the, like almost the resealable they, bags that you put in your. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, like the like uh, we call it in the U.S. baggies, like a little, little plastic bag that they have, like you put like you know pieces of fruit in or you know, like sandwich or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th those things, those things. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I um, I was literally like given that with to the barbershop, obviously, allowing people to try and give me their review, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, uh, when someone said, oh, yeah, I'd actually buy it from you, I was in heaven because they gave me the cash up front. Okay. So I had started with this 50, gone down to probably about 20 okay. uh, CDs, which is probably now I'm down to like my last... Wait. Four bucks. Four, four US dollars. <laughs> I was literally on my last four bucks. And they paid me a solid, I don't know, like 50 CDs for like a big bag okay. of these uh, chips. So I managed to package it and get it yeah. to them. Um, so that was super lucky. And then after that, I was like, I'd learned the meaning of money. Like I, I'd been running this barbershop and and all of these things. So I was like fucking hustling. Mind my language, yeah. I swear. No, no. Um, man. But I was really like yeah. hustling here, like trying to get something. Um, and because my mother didn't agree with what I was doing. I was going to ask you that. Gonna, I was going to ask you yeah, about that. She wasn't yeah. going to support that at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I um, ended up going and buying some more jars because that was literally all I knew. I was like, maybe I'll just package this in some nice jars and put a stick on it. Now, mm -hmm. I was lucky because I had a family friend who owns a printing press and she was like, oh yeah, I'll print, I'll print some for you. Like, I'll print some labels for you. Oh, some labels, on. okay. Okay, yeah, so a little, so a little, I, a, a I little networking, a little networking, getting some people that you know that can do different things. Yeah. That's common. Yeah. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened there. Um, and so I managed to finish uh, selling a decent amount. And so I, I, by this stage, I had probably about 300 CDs. Okay. So. And so I had found a graphic designer. I was like, oh, yeah, can you do me a label? Can you do me a logo? Okay. I, I want to start this. So we negotiated our price, blah, blah. and um, during this time, I said, all right, I'm just going to register this company because I really want to make this happen now. Gotcha. I'm like dead soon. Like I've actually made money. So, so from the from, beginning, from this. 
Did you know much about the entrepreneurial process from reading about other stories and stuff in the beginning? As this was as this was occurring, were you thinking of it as that narrative of an entrepreneur? Like, okay, if I can see that people are buying it, then I'll double down on this. You know, like, or was it more like a little more intuitive? Like, okay, I do want to make money with this, and I'm just going to keep building. Or did you already know that there was some... Did you know there was sort of a template for entrepreneurs to test items? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I had definitely, I had definitely always known that. Um, yeah. But you know, one thing I did tell myself, uh, especially like while I was like considering, once a light bulb went up, I was like, right. "We're going to register this," but okay. just kind of do the pre-work to get to that. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So I'll yeah. be good. So yeah. you knew it was and a big know, idea and, so, and it's like, I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to, you know, mark this brand, register it. But before I do all that, let me just get it down pat. Let me get the details done. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And in Ghana, and is so that, is, have, how is that process in Ghana uh, to register and everything? Is that borderline like, impossible? <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest with you. Um, <laughs> registering the company isn't hard at all. Okay. Actually a walk in the park. But that's barely the beginning. Like, mm. that's literally just it. Um, that's like, uh, what's the hard part is going through FDA because okay. they give you a sheet of paper and they say, this is what we need from you. Okay. And so you go back to your drawing board after paying them for a paper form, which Let's be real here. Why do we need to still use paper? <laughs> Why right. can't we do this just online? Why can't this be free and available for anyone to fill out a form online right. and get on with things, right? Yeah. Over here, you still have to write a letter. Mm. You have to write a letter to the MD saying, this is what you intend to do. Okay. Is it relevant? <laughs> Absolutely not. Because you know yes. that the person is not going to read it. Or even right. if she does, it's just she just got just someone's gonna bureaucracy. be there. We're talking about bureaucracy. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it is what you have to do here. Yeah, there's um, a lot of that in I Brazil he, here as well with people. Like they have a lot sorry? of struggle. in Brazil here. There's a lot of challenges people have with bureaucracy of starting yeah. businesses like legitimately and going yeah. through processes with government agencies. Yeah, it is. It, it's such a weird one though, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. you think that something like this, starting a business or trying to make a product that is Ghana made mm -hmm. should be the easiest thing to do in your own country. If I was the leader of a country, I would want that to be the case. <laughs> right? Right? Like, well, you know, like, they, we'll get into that a little bit later too. There's some, you know, maybe there's other reasons why that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, you're adding value, and I think that's that's all it is. I, I think once you start to add value and you start to really and truly contribute to the economy, and yeah, now it will start paying taxes. Yeah, your life should get a little bit easier because you know you are a true member of society now. Right. Um. But. It took me from that point, which was 2018. Okay. 
I think it was May. Yeah, I think May, May 2018. Okay. I didn't complete my FDA until about a month and a half ago, a month ago. Whoa. <laughs> Two now, years. Now, is this because the itemized things that they wanted were specific details you had to keep uh, improving or, or, or iterating on? Or was this because they just simply didn't process it in, or they did it on their own I, time? I'm being, I'm being real with you. Like, they're just not competent. Okay. I, I think if you're going to go through FDA and you know you need to get your product tested, you need to go and get it at the FDA. You get, I right, put it this way, you get tested at the FDA and you get tested at Ghana Standards Authority. Okay. Now you have to get all these other certificates that are not even listed down. Okay. Um, and you have to get them from a different department. So you're going okay. to about three, uh, no, about three or four different authorities okay just so it, to get the things you need it's a collection of various documents and proof about all of the quality standards of the product and you get them from different right. places and all of this so you kind of what right. we call but, the i don't know if you've used that term before scavenger hunt where yeah. you, you're looking for different pieces of something all over the place. But the problem is they don't tell you um, how, they tell you how much you think it will cost. Okay. But you end up spending so much more than that. Um, okay, so was there an, a final accumulated cost that you endured in order to get this done? Like, I, I know how much how it all cost me. Um, and bear in mind, you have to, include like your transport and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I spent a solid thousand dollars. Thousand now, let's let's which thousand US. US. So that means about five thousand or so more CDs. Yeah. To get yeah. that all done. Yeah. Right. Now bear in mind you're trying to run a business too and you have your overheads and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um so just to scavenge that cash is really hard. And yeah, you know, every entrepreneur has their story. For mine, for me, it was, you know, my parents weren't necessarily comfortable with trying to help me like afford these things. Which do you not? So what? You know? Right, right. I mean, you had your mission, but I think the key, the key point here is uh, the idea of capitalization. Like, how do we invest in a business? that's starting on the ground in Ghana and it's, you know, but then there's like these costs that are beyond what the grassroots entrepreneur can just sell your way out of when you're just starting. Yeah. Because especially with your type of product, you have to produce, which because you have costs to produce and then what you can make when you sell it. So you have this careful tightrope that, that you're, you're walking as a, as a producer to be able to yeah. sell it and profit, you know? So yeah, it's not like a software yeah. company where it's software or, you know, writing things or, or consulting where you could just say, Hey, this is my business and just register it. And then I'm off to the races, you know, and you're also no, with the exactly, food item. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, and, and this, this also goes to show what staying on your mission and purpose means 
and the passion I talk about a lot that with some other guests, like basically for you to endure that shows that this is something that's quality, that's built to last, that has a meaning behind it. Because yeah. for you to get this product out is more important than all of that. Then all of the paperwork, the bureaucracy, the BS, everything, you know, and that yeah. shows that says a lot about the quality. And, and basically, you've also created um, a market differentiation because now your product is uh, there's a higher barrier to entry, let's just say, to do what you're doing. So for your competitors yeah. to even catch up to you, they got to have that fortitude that you've already displayed. <laughs> And, true the, and the, the brains to do it. Yeah. And the marketing. Yeah. So there's just a lot of things that for people to even catch up would be, you know. But also I would also say that another thing that you also need to uh, or another thing that I did anyway was I told myself going into this that when I'm going through all these agencies and going through all these things, I'm not just going to sit there and just pay my way through this thing because I need to do this properly. I, I know that this gotcha. product doesn't just want to exist in Ghana. I want and this product to exist gotcha, gotcha. all over the world. And when you say pay your way through this, you mean go around the system and get somebody to just approve all this stuff without it actually being correct, which yeah. we call corruption. <laughs> which, yeah, exactly. You know, and that's yeah. the thing. Let's be, let's be frank about it because this is something that, a lot of African entrepreneurs need to hear so that we can start cleaning that up and we can start yeah. creating a society where we realize we don't have to do that. Like, you know, a lot of my yeah. family members and, and people know people in Nigeria that just kind of like take shortcuts to get things done. And uh, yeah. in the long run, like universally and ethically, it doesn't pan out well in the long run. But by you doing it this way, you said, look, I want it to be done correct. You, basically, you don't want anybody coming to you later on the back end and saying, oh, well, interesting. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. And now they have some yeah. kind of leverage or power to take your whole company away after it's already super successful because of yeah. some technicality. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I imagine that doing it correctly from the beginning. Now you've got legality, you got the business, you got everything, you know, straight. Yeah. So, but it, I, I think it also comes down to really what is the brand you're trying to build and mm -hmm. what does your brand stand for? Um, I right. think my brand in particular stands for transparency, honesty, and <laughs> A lot yeah. of integrity. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's not about feeding a customer a lie. It's not about doing things and lying to people's faces. It's about just doing things the right way. Yeah. And yeah. the right way to me means uh, economically, environmentally, and um, on a hu human level. Um, right. And that these are the things that I focus on, but there are other brands out there who I know for damn sure they have not thought this through. Right. And they've just paid their way through the table, under the table, um, been corrupt and done all of that other nonsense. Um, right. And they think, oh yeah, look at the brand I built. 
the rest of the world are going to catch up and be like, listen, guy, I mean, we've seen your story. Something's not adding up here. I'm not supporting yeah. your brand. That's the thing I'm about not going to give you the opportunity to say that. See, that's because the thing I about know it, what yeah. this brand means. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the beautiful. So you're not going to give anyone any opportunity to, to, to break an authentic brand. Like, and that's solid. Yeah. You know, there's a book in, uh, called the built, uh, built to last. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of things that, you know, I grew up seeing, I saw it, you know, you see it in the United States as well. Everybody knows there's corruption in the United States. There's corruption in Europe. There's corruption in Africa. Um, I even mentioned on, uh, one of the other casts I was talking about, um, the fact that Africans in general, our nature, it's not necessarily like corruption doesn't come from our nature per se. It's more from, one could argue that it comes from human nature, but I see that it comes from systems that allow for corruption to be bred. And a lot of times the democratic system mixed with capitalism, mixed with the imperialism, the colonial, uh, colonization and stuff like that, and the constant um, greed or acquisition of resources breeds the corruption out of the African person because it yeah. dangles it dangles the opportunity and the luxury and the the desire in front of the African who's in poverty or who's struggling, and 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 it basically is the false promise. Now imagine this: the same thing happens in the United States in the music industry, where there's a kid he's growing up in poverty, he's struggling, he's had to sell drugs, he's been in and out of prison system, and then somebody says, "Look, we'll pay you two hundred thousand dollars right now," <laughs> you know, and that's the most money he's ever seen in his life. He accepts it, but then that two hundred thousand is his entry into slavery, where they own his whole all his music, all his everything. And then later they make money off of everything he does, you know? Yeah. He's subjected to that, yeah. that, that image and mindset, you know? So it's key, man. It's crazy. I this. mean, corruption is just a different beast. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a beast that we must address in Africa. I mean, for me, the best example of how tech Corruption is when you look at Singapore. Yeah, right? I was going to ask you about that. I've heard you mention that in other interviews. What yeah. do you think it is that, that uh, how do you think, basically, they, had, they basically started from, I don't know if it was a top down or bottom down, but they had a change of power, right? And the, the next leader, yeah. he said, okay, enough is enough. We're going to remove all these people, right? And then didn't they just put in people that they, they screened very thoroughly and then they just set new laws, uh, rules and standards and upheld them. And it was like, uh, like night and day, right? I don't know the exact yeah, details. Yeah, I mean, you see, so I, understand. I think it was 1950s, I want to say. That. I, I, I don't want to be certain here, but I think okay. it was 1950s, late 1940s, um, the government changed um, mainly because the British left Singapore. Okay, right. Uh, and left them to be an independent nation, right? And this guy called Lee Kuan Yew, he came into power and he essentially said, if we're going to move away from this imperial rule, we need to make sure that we put in place the right structures and right procedures to uh -huh. keep ourselves as 
or to ensure that our nation survives and we are going to be as rich as possible and as wealthy as possible as a people. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who don't know about Singapore, obviously Singapore wasn't the richest country. It has no natural resources. All it has is just very good geographical mm-hmm. location. I mean, they can be a port city, mm-hmm. states, um, and that's exactly what they became. But they realized that in order for them to really thrive and be successful um, for generations to come, corruption has to be completely eradicated from its society. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Lee Kuan Yew did was that he had all these people who were previously corrupt leave politics completely. And, you know, they had to end the nonsense right away. He hired and brought in a very strong team of uh, politicians who their main mission was to speak on behalf of the people. And that sense of togetherness and that sense of uh, national identity and national sense of pride really came into being for them, I would say. Um, I mean, they did one or two quite amazing things. And what they did was that they ensured that the people were aware that they were accountable at addressing uh, corruption in the country. So mm-hmm. the police had tip-offs when they heard that this guy paid someone under the table for even a bag of rice, for mm-hmm. example. Little mm-hmm. things like that. It starts at grassroots level, right? So and these are the things that um, are so important, so crucial, because I think it, it democratizes the entire economy now. Um, it makes everyone, um, it will give people the opportunity to, to thrive because someone registering a business, they're not going to have to face some of the things I have to face. They're now mm-hmm. going to go through a system where it's just straight, straight to the point. Through. Today, I believe that any Singapore can register a business within 15 minutes. <laughs> any Singaporean can minutes. register a business in 15 minutes online. No paying for forms. None of that. Their business yeah. is registered and they have a tax ID and identification number. Um, they found that you know, obviously political leadership is <laughs> key yeah. um, and it is necessary to do things in the right way. Um, they even have a, a complete branch who are focusing on tackling uh, corruption, I, th- I forget what it's called, maybe CPP or mm-hmm. CPIB or along those lines. And I, I find that to be so good because w- no matter what goes on in that country, the entire country is on board with this one mission to keep the country clean and keep people coming back to this country and investing right. into um, their country. And uh, these are the things that we need here in Africa. Right. Obviously, I can't speak on behalf of every African nation. I can't even speak on behalf of Ghana because, quite frankly, I, I believe that um, we need a different type of leadership. Uh, democracy doesn't work here, in my opinion. Not necessarily. Do we need a little bit more That's of a, a military rule? Probably, yeah. This is a good, this is a very, very good point because we, we touched upon this in in being in touch with one another and I listen to your other interviews and I've been reading and you see what's going on in the United States right now, probably in the news and just 
different countries. Um, one of the biggest things I realized this year after everything that's occurred in the United States with the, uh, the pandemic, as well as the, the protests globally that stemmed in all 50 states in the United States, is that the political process, I went back and I read some books and I'm reading another book right now called um, The Power Broker. It's about a guy named Robert Moses that he built like single-handedly a large portion of the interstate parks and residential areas in New York City. Like we're talking like a major mm. portion, like 30 to 40% of those projects were under his supervision over like a span of about 30 years. The guy went to Oxford in the 1920s or something like that, came back to the United States and it was just a period of reform in New York City. And he had all these ideals about how New York could be built out and how parks could be and everything. But once he started entering in the political, democratic political process, he kept finding barriers to his dreams. So then he started making his own ways to create his dreams. <laughs> and one of those ways was writing his own legislation. And he would carefully using a brilliant mind he would carefully craft and manipulate the legislation to where it would pin the democratic legislators in a in a in a process to where he was in control and they couldn't do anything about it and he could get funding to do whatever projects he wanted to do so he continued this process and then he became addicted to power because he had it and he was able to get it without ever having the people elect him for anything so when people talk about democracy as if it's just this blanket thing that works everywhere automatically, it's not the case because the United States is the example of how uh, the holes in democracy occur. And he's an example yeah. specifically in New York City. He built, he built things where he didn't want black people to go there. So he built the things, he built a bridge to the beach that the bus could not go under a certain level so only cars could pass through and he prevented all people from going there he built interstates that cut through neighborhoods to prevent black people from going to certain parks and neighborhoods and areas wow. and so he was incredibly racist he was a power monger and he held like 12 city public positions and his his methodology became a pattern for other states all over the United States. And this is talking about the wow. 20s to the 60s. So wow. when people say democracy, they're sometimes forgetting about the incredible leverage that a few handful of powerful and wealthy people can have on a democracy. And I think that even right now, when we're talking about um, the internet, there's only like five companies that control most of the internet and they have most of the wealth and you know all the things that affect politics it just trickles down into a, a, a lot of influence from massively wealthy people so when you look at democracy it's my point is this democracy in that original greco roman form or whatever you know it's already crumbling and dismantling and it's already proven to be faulty and have holes in it the question is is that the model for africa and what are the alternatives and we just need people to start implementing like ideas for alternatives to actually be on the ground to work 
you know. Um, so anyway, that's my idea about that. And I, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're saying that you see these, these issues. I don't know about UK, but you see these holes in democracy. The idea that we're all going to vote and the majority is going to vote for the best person. There's so many holes for corruption of that. Even in Brazil, it's just crazy all over the world. It's not a bad model. It's better than dictatorship. But at the same time, if people have the money and power, they become the dictators behind the scenes of the democracy. <laughs> yeah. You know? All right. So I, I know I, 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 know I went around a lot on that, but you can comment on that. No, no, no. I, I, I saw this map the other day um, of the map of the U.S. And I saw there was a strip on one side and a strip on the other. Uh-huh. And there was this red blanket in the middle. Mm-hmm. Now... The red blanket in the middle and the two strips, the East Coast and the West Coast. So this is stretching from, I don't know, maybe like Maine, New York, all the way down to Florida, mm-hmm. from Seattle all the way down to um, San Diego, maybe something uh-huh. along those lines. And that is where most of the population live. That red blanket in the middle has something like maybe 40% of the world, of the U.S. population. Right, right. Meanwhile, because of how your constitution is set up, uh-huh. it is pretty much unfairly positioned that the people who really determine uh, who wins the elections are the people in the middle. Yeah, because of the electoral college. And each state right. has a certain you know? number of votes positioned based on population. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and that's another loophole there. Yeah, I, it's, It is ludicrous. It is mm-hmm. unfair. It, it, everything about it is just so wrong. And it's yeah. always been skewed against us because, you know, when I say us, it's always been skewed against the people who live in the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, which we were saying that the in, only way you win is if you own land. Kind of like that. And if yeah. you don't own land, <laughs> then you're never going to win. Right. Now, that's already said, all right, black people, you're out. The Native Americans, we're giving you well, as small land as possible. And now. not only that, the, the African Americans in the United States are about 40-some million out of 300-some million by itself, just in general. And the majority of them live in the larger cities. Yeah. And normally, more likely, the coastal cities. Yeah. So there you go. And that's where all of the situations that in the United States with Trump and all those, uh, basically Trump and Biden are two polars that are really both backed by billionaires anyway. Yeah. So uh, African-Americans in the United States are in a bind because there's no outlet for the true needs for the social welfare and the progress and the, the, the business opportunity, educational opportunity for African-Americans in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, that, and, you know, and then, okay, now let's talk about Africa too, because the, uh, the thing that I, I, I try to understand is, we have, like, I, I, I'm truly respectful of all religions. I understand Christianity. I understand Islam, Eastern philosophies, and I respect uh, Ju- uh, uh, Judaism. But what I have a difficulty with is the, evangel- the evangelists who come into Africa and then these 
the mixture of religion with politics, I have a big conflict with that. Because I understand the simple humility of saying a prayer and connecting yourself with a higher power and having faith. That's one thing. But then when someone enters into a public office and they're tied into this particular religion or another, and the people don't have food, electricity, uh, basic essential uh, jobs and things like that, and they're still praying about it, while this other person's praying about it too, but in a wealthy state, to me, that's something that we have to work on because, you know, to get us out, because see, they're saying that, you know, religion prevents corruption, but then they're using religion to perpetuate the corruption. And, you know, that's something I, I that think I have a problem that, with. Yeah, the, the, there's two things there that you said. Uh, I think the first thing is that, you see, the problem with us in Africa is that, well, especially in Ghana, is that we put, we praise money. Okay. To put it bluntly, we worship high. money um, to the point that um, anyone who has money, people will bend over backwards for. If you don't have money, yeah. It's not getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it in, in the most, like, in the dumbest of ways. Like, it's so funny. I can go to, when I was in school, like, I didn't care how rich you were, like, if you said something stupid, I want to fucking call you out. Like, like <laughs> right. you know, like, yeah. I'm going to bet. No, very wrong, but whatever. Um, there was a point where character here, was more important. Have money. Oh, I'm right. sorry. You so, saw character right. more important. Yeah. So, I, I was tempted to, I've been tempted so many times to run this test, but I've been tempted to uh, one day dress up, go to stand outside a nice restaurant with, a nice car and nice clothes, a watch, all of that, and stand outside and just start saying very wrong things. Mm. Like, just start saying fucked up things. And just watch. People will still approach me as if I'm some god just because mm. I might have money or I have money. And mm. I, I find that to be really sad. Um, and I think how this ties into religion and this comes to my second point, is that mm-hmm. the priests have money. Right. The, pe- the people who are connecting you to that higher power or to that um, belief have money, and they have a lot of it. So mm-hmm. a priest is out here saying, you need to give me all your money to make sure that you can make money yourself. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Have you mm-hmm. made an investment? <laughs> That, and, and I guess the, the question is how, how to get more of the common person to see that, you know, and to, yeah. you know, to and awaken th- to that. Th- this is where the power of um, logical thinking comes in. And th- mm-hmm. this is why, again, like, I, I've spoken about this before. I have a problem with uh, particularly evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're not teaching you anything. They're not giving you any real knowledge. In my opinion, this mm-hmm. is just my opinion. Anyone else can say whatever. And I'm, if you go to church, great. Good for you. Like I said, I but, have respect for everybody. I just want to see 
behavior patterns that reflect solutions in the people. That's exactly. the way I look at it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the right behavioral pattern we should have here is first and foremost, politics needs to detach from the church. And yes. um, they need to start taxing the church first and foremost. Secondly, unfortunately, our, our president here has done something which I completely disagree with. And my favorite architect, and this was like confirmation why I should give up an architect mm. anyway. Um, <laughs> my favorite architect um, has been commissioned to make or to design a church on government land. Mm. That's an insult. That's an insult to um, everyone. Firstly, that government land should have been used for a hospital or a school or a place of knowledge or a solid investment rather than a church. Um, Secondly, that architect should know better. Like your job as an architect is to assess and figure out ways to make the world a better place using logic and reasoning. That is one thing that I saw in every single architecture school around the globe. You can be at the worst architecture school that I teach at. Um, Secondly, it's also a massive insult to the millions of Muslims Mm. uh, living in Ghana. See, that's the thing. We have to have respect for all religions, allow religions to breathe and do what they can in terms of their faith without pushing religious agendas into a political or, or business sphere, yeah. you know, or educational yeah. sphere. Because yeah. education, oh man, it's just like, it's deep though, it's deep because no, it you, is. Go back to, you go back to African roots of education and then you go to like the roots of religion and it all kind of comes back from Africa anyway. But it's just like it got splintered out so that they started using the religion to be a part of the education in their way. And then they bring in the Bible when they start colonizing and all of this. So the way I see it is like, okay, the Bible, we can look at the Bible, but let's look at the Bible as a piece of literature. Yeah. And okay, if it was divinely inspired literature, okay, that's fine. But we should also have educational institutions that tell us how and the ways to critically reason about divinely inspired literature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm but, saying? But, but that, that, you're right. I mean, we don't understand that education and the information we feed um, the next generation, especially in this part of the world, is directly intertwined into our religion and politics. Right. And... Um, with that being said, on the macro level, we really need to focus on problem solving, right? Yeah. Um, how can we problem solve without having to rely on a religious text or, you know, listening to what someone else has told us, which is exactly what the religious sector does. Right, right. Um, it's a belief and system. And we believe it. It's a belief system. Yeah. And, it, and it should be a private practice. It should. Because what you believe and what I believe about a power that is the universal power is a very intimate personal belief. 
It is. You know, and when we talk about society, we're talking about, okay, once we have all those beliefs and we come together to do something in the society, now we can make decisions based on the reality that we perceive ourselves to be in. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you now, know that... This is one thing that it's just holding us back. And, you know, that's why it's so important that we, you know, we ask why. Yes, yes. We read the Bible and we see a story, we see a scripture, we, we learn about Jonah and the map and the whale. Right. Someone should stop and ask why. Why does Jonah come back alive from being in the belly of a whale? Right. You know, and once you start to ask why, you forced um, the preacher to think much more critically about what he's answered. It's not that it's fact, and the preacher go ahead and say it's impossible. You're not going to survive it if you find yourself in the belly of a whale. <laughs> Just so right. you know, like... you'll be disintegrated from the acid of the stomach. So right. give that up. But right. this is what it means, and right. this is what um, it could mean. But let me ask you, what do you believe in this story? And uh-huh. how can I help you or direct you in the right? Or, again, right is also a subjective term, but in the right way. Right. Um, like logical in- thinking is probably the most important thing in the world. And asking why is probably, probably the most inqu- important word that we don't use in mm. our vocabulary in, the, in this part of the world. Um, yes, yes. I definitely think once we're able to start doing that, once we're able to uh, think critically and say, hold on, why is it that I can walk into a political building and instead of going on my phone and applying for that business loan online or whatever, applying for a business loan, signing mm-hmm. for my FDA. Why is it that I have to pay money for a piece of paper that I can print myself, <laughs> sign that paper, go back, wait for someone to give me a heads up or a thumbs down, walk out of that building, go do some more work. Why is it that I'm not getting the information that I'm supposed to be getting? We have mm-hmm. to be asking why, 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 why. Right, right. And it's not ingrained in our culture, particularly in Ghana, to ask why. You just accept. There's mm-hmm. this saying um, that my cousin likes use when it comes to education here, and it's chew and pour. My cousin, uh, he will tell you himself, he wasn't necessarily like a genius in school or whatever. Um, but it's mm-hmm. because of the type of education they were giving him. They were telling him two times two is four. So remember that two times two is four. But I think what he spent a lot of his time doing, which I definitely did as well growing up, was asking, wait, why is it two times two is four? Mm. What is two? I only, yeah, I then, only got good at algebra because I was asking myself, why is it that A squared equals B squared? You know, like, you know, I, I had yeah. to ask myself these questions. You um, had to see the depth of the, uh, like, two plus two is four, or two times two is four, because if you put one, if you put four little sticks on the ground, 
and you count them as four, and then if you separate them as two plus two, and if you have two sticks yeah. and you add one stick to each of the two, you've multiplied them into four. So like, there's a real science yeah. behind the mathematics, but if you don't show a child that learning, there's a reason why this happens. Yeah, It's just a memory in their brain that when they see this, do this. Yeah. You know? Now, don't, don't you think it's crazy, like beyond crazy to me, that some child right now is listening to a parent, uh, a preacher, a rabbi, mm-hmm. uh, or whoever, and that person is telling them God is real, or if you're, I, I don't know, if you're in one of the Hindu religions, there are 50 gods that you have to believe in. Mm. Like, I, I, lis- I listen to these things and I'm just like, am I the delusional one here? Like, is there <laughs> something that I, I'm missing? Like, and well, I'm, this is not to say that I'm a Scientologist or whatever, but it's mainly to say that there's so many different perspectives, but they all teach you one common lesson about mm-hmm. life in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Why can't we just tell that to a kid? Rather yeah, than yeah, feed him. I agree, yeah. And, and you find that some of the wisest kids are the kids that maybe their mother is Jewish and their father is a Christian. Yeah. They're so wise because they've had to pick from two yeah. uh, one of the positions. Things, one of the things that got me was uh, because with the way I grew up with my mother's side of the family is a different type of churches. And my mother is, quote, unquote, white, Caucasian, European background. My father's African. So he was always at the, quote, unquote, black churches. My mother was at the, quote, unquote, white churches. Yeah. And I saw both of them were, like, had problems. So from the earliest age of seven or eight years old, from my own, like, intuition and sanity i could see good things in some of those places and i could see bad things good things bad things like in the white churches i would see the judgment of me because i would be the only black person in there and i could see some of the looks and things like that i'm like wait a minute i thought we were here for god like why are you looking at me why do i feel (laughs) why do i feel like a demon in a house of god if this is what this yeah. supposed to be. Then on the, the black churches, I would see, like, you, this is interesting. It, it, I would see the pastors with the beautiful clothes and the, the fancy cars. And then I would see, like, some of the, the, the churchgoers poor, struggling and putting money into the plate. And I would be thinking, like, wait a minute. He came in a nice car. Like, and just in my young mind, I'm like, why are we putting money in here, I mean, okay, but I don't see the church changing. Like they say it was for a building fund, but the only thing I saw changing was like the pastor seemed to be living really well. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was just as a young kid. So then later I started realizing and reading, of course, and, and understanding that, okay, no human being has certainty, 100% certainty of what God is. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is there's different perspectives of it from different cultures and languages and and, uh, countries. And so in the United States, we do have the uh, respect everybody's religion. We have those early um, kind of beliefs about that. 
even though it was not socially enforced, it was in our literature. So we kind of had a little bit of tolerance. But then the, the, when you realize that slavery and uh, colonization was perpetuated by these things, that's when I was like, whoa, 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 okay. When it comes to that, I'm just gonna do my own <laughs> and, and live with a balance of reason and whatever spiritual divinity that I feel, I'll do those connections and share it with people in my close circles. But other than that, I have no reason to perpetuate these, I call them mythologies. And it's like poetry. If you talk about Joan and the Whale, to me, that's good poetry. It's good mythology. It's good literature. Because yeah. if I'm in debt, if I'm in debt and I'm struggling, I feel like I'm drowning, that could be considered the belly of the whale. And then if you have faith and you can find a way out, you know, so then you get out. So that would be the proper application of some of the biblical stories and stuff like that, which is fine, which I understand that that's, they can powerfully be used for that. But then when it comes to your bills and you're living in Lagos, Nigeria, and the power is getting cut off all the time because the government hasn't even resolved how to keep the power on consistently, and that's stopping you from learning, which is stopping people from starting businesses and getting jobs, that's when I start saying, well, we need to back up from the religious aspect a little bit here, and let's look yeah. at, you know, <laughs> the practicality of where every Naira that you spend goes and what they're doing with it, you know, and then having that accountability. No one's telling people don't believe in God. It's just, you know, balance it out with that reason, you know, and then yeah. people can choose. And I think that would be a healthier way to, to live life, you know? Yeah. Um, I know that Africans, we are very passionate people. And I think there, what, the other flip side of that is I think there is something intrinsic in the African mind with rhythm and passion and spirit, just like pure spirit that connects with the idea of religion that causes us to be overzealous about it and causes us to apply our, I'll say this, apply our metaphysical power for energy and disperse it in the wrong ways. Yeah. So instead of us doing crazy things in the church and falling out, we could be dispersing that energy into launching, you know, a new business or launching some kind of literature or creativity that can be sold, that can like make, you know, sustainable living or solar power or something like that, which is what I think you and I are tapping into. Yeah. Because we're you, we, you know, I, I, I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm using my reason as much as possible, but then I also have passion involved in it as well. I could yeah. be dispersing this energy on saying, not to offend anybody, on saying Jesus is Lord a hundred thousand times or praising Buddha or Allah a hundred thousand times, or I could respectfully do that and then do use that energy to build knowledge in the world and build progressive yeah. steps for people to improve their lives, you know? Yeah. So I, I think it's just like super ironic that the Bible teaches us to think so much about people and yeah. to care about our neighbor and to love thy neighbor and all of that. And the people who are right at the top leading us, they don't give a shit about our neighbors. <laughs> that's, the, that's the other thing. Yeah. You know? Um, and, you know, you're right. Like we should be channeling a lot of this energy that we have built up into 
starting a business or starting an initiative to help someone else. Yeah, organization. If religion. Yeah, whatever, you know, man. Something that that's helps your calling. Yeah. It's so crazy, right? I had, I have this, um, obviously everyone in, in our culture is an aunt or an uncle, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, had the, I have this aunt, if you want to call her an aunt, and she spent so much time over the last, like, 20 years, ever since I've known her, like, going to church and praising God, like, praying that her life gets better and she, she makes money and uh, uh-huh. all of that shit, about. right? Yeah. I say shit, sorry, all of that, which is great. But do you know what's so ironic? She has an accounting degree. She has an accounting license. She had a really good job that ended up firing her because she wasn't spending enough time at work. Oh, Where was she? Man. At church? At church. <laughs> that's ironic. See, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying, man. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I see it in my family members as well in different ways. It pans out of different, different manifestations, but basically it's the same thing. We run ourselves in circles with beliefs and emotions about things, and then we leave out critical steps that could solve problems that we have, you know? <laughs> and now let's go into this, man, because we talked about some deep stuff here. So your business now, um, moving forward from that, point of getting everything to where it's flowing you got you started getting your marketing together um basically do you look at yourself do you have do you have you hired anyone yet uh so i had so hired someone but yeah where where are you at just yeah. <laughs> okay where are you at with the business and what's what's it what are your next uh moves and requirements to grow this business and what are some of the ways that you want to distribute the product and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, so right now, obviously, we're still a young company. I would definitely put us in the SME bracket. Um, and we've now actually started teaming up with a lot of online retailers um, who okay. are excited to get into the space, um, supplying African and Ghanaian goods, um, Good. And so we've managed to make enough connections along the way to start getting into negotiations with them. Uh, I have one in particular person who I don't know if I should mention it yet. So I'll hold. You don't off. have to. We won't um, hold it on you. <laughs> hold yeah. off. Yeah, take uh, your time. But they're really, really exciting about potentially getting started with us. I actually sent them some some images today. So. Um, yeah, I mean, things are looking up and things are always looking better. Um, I think the ultimate goal for the next definitely year and a half is to definitely get into the regional um, supermarkets mm, in okay. the UK and the US. That would be my first uh, goal because I know that the market is there that understands <laughs> the goal and the mission and what I'm doing. Um, you could definitely get it to Whole Foods in the United States. They that that would yeah. be a product type yeah. of uh, that would be the type yeah. of store that Trader and Joe's, Whole Foods. People love to buy that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I have a lot of other 
price I want to come out with outside of the coconut chips. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that it's not smart to just release all of them just yet. Um, and I, I think these are some of the hard things to do. It's about picking and choosing your moment and, and things like that. And so I am also working on a third flavor. Um, as you'll probably come yeah, to know, you, I have a second flavor that's just come out. You have the Beach Babe, which is lightly salted savory. Yes, a and lightly you, salted savory snack. And then you got the sweet thing, which is a lightly sweet. That's that light and sweet yeah. So, so what is the uh, what? What makes that salty and that sweet? I mean, are you using uh, special ingredients for those two? And then what's the um, third? No, one? not not really. If I'm, I'm being brutally honest with you, um, it's just kind of as it is, uh, as you would expect it to be. Um, I, I think the problem I've been definitely having over the last um, year is definitely just trying to get people to resonate with the price, resonate with what it is that we are actually selling rather mm-hmm. than them like being like, oh, well, what is this? I want you yeah. to kind of have in your head and you know exactly what it is. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the main goal. I don't, I don't want to do something too left field because you realize that some businesses fail because they're too extreme. Yeah. And they're too out there to be noticed uh, so i think it's important for people in our industry to to be aware of that and, and that, that's a problem that you're gonna have to face so mm-hmm. yeah have you thought about some of uh, highlighting some of the health benefits of the dry coconut and uh have you gone into that in detail um you know basically yeah. for the end user yeah so uh obviously in terms of health benefits there's actually a lot. Um, so first and foremost, uh, the fats that are in coconut oil are actually very Oh, yeah. Good I love coconut oil. Very. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good for Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and so that's, that's probably the most important thing to know. Um, we have all natural fats straight from the coconut, um, straight from the tree nut itself. And um, we use a different kind of coconut here we use yellow dwarf and it, it is actually a really rich um coconut with so mm. many different uh minerals and so many different wow. uh vitamins and things like that um but obviously the most important thing that you can get from coconut and coconut oil in particular is the good fats mm. um this is probably the first and only time you can get um good fats from a natural product um like that really um when i say the only time obviously you can go other places and get uh good fats but um no you you can you can get good fats from coconuts and that is very important for your diet um you need a certain amount of fats every day and a lot of people think oh yeah you don't need fats you don't need carbs actually you really need them because you won't be able to function without them. Oh yeah. So and natural healthy yeah. fat is super essential. I have a background with training and fitness. It's yeah, definitely it's, it's exactly like taking like uh, fish oils. Yeah, it's absolutely essential. Because yeah. your body runs with a lot of lipids, which are fat cells that transport yeah. all kinds of things through your blood flow and system. So that's amazing, man. So then, so yeah, just... Uh, 
working on getting a little more distribution. And um, what is your vision for uh, Paradise Sun Snacks? Let's say, you know, like five years, 10 years. Are you looking to expand there in Accra in terms of your manufacturing, in terms of like how do you uh, work the process in the sun and the quantity that yeah. you do? Do you, have, do you use your mathematical architectural skills to, to visualize uh, <laughs> Yeah, thousands of these things baking at the same time or something. I don't know. I'm right, just curious right. what's in your vision and your brain of how this was going to like expand to, let's say, feed yeah. massive amounts of people. <laughs> well, my, my, my goal is, is not just to stay in Ghana. Obviously, Ghana will always be the home for this price and this brand. But I do believe that the other price I can be made using different types of renewable energies. And gotcha. And I want to go all over the world with this and set up factories and set up um, means of productions uh, in different regions all over the world uh, with different climates and using different source of energies just to produce good snacks. Mm. Um, they can be local snacks and they can be local ingredients, which I'm more than happy to do. And that's something I really want to do. Um, but I also want to start to promote more of what renewable energy really is, uh, what yeah. good clean energy is. Um, this is something I, I've told, funny enough, I've told um, my family, I, I want to send an electronic rocket into space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amen. That, that is... Something sounds, so ambitious and yeah. so left field out no, there. But, but that's the but, brilliance. Um, that's I, I want to go in the cleanest your, way. That's the brilliance of your brain, man. Like you're, you're not limiting yourself to anything and you're allowing your creative mind to think. And that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's all that one can do, man, to see, see what our potential is. Have you heard yeah. of the Internet of Energy? Uh, how they're using solar panels to uh, basically like store electricity when the sun is out and then like for example there's like a network of houses that have solar panels and store electricity and then when the sun goes out depending on like there might be sun over here or no sun over here but where there's sun it redistributes it like through kind of like a a network system oh, okay have you been? I've looked into I it briefly. Heard something like they call before. it something like the Internet of Energy, basically. Okay, yeah, I have so, heard something like that before. It's kind of like um, you, like you're you're uh, seeding the sunlight at different times, like kind of like how they do with BitTorrents, but you're doing yeah. the sunlight. So yeah, this exactly. person right now, he's closed because it's a cloudy day, but this guy, he's getting some sunlight, so you can pull from him. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, well, that's kind of what I mean by um, I want to develop the technology a little further. I, I do want to get to that point where I can literally be cooking on the rainiest of days to the um, darkest of days. Like even now it's got dark. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to be cooking now and things right. like that. That would be awesome. Um, and th these are the things that um, I think is crucial. And I think innovating and changing the game in some way shape or form um it starts with 
assessing problems um, and it starts with assessing problems in your supply chain in particular to make things a lot easier and to make things more efficient um, for you as a business and obviously ultimately to make the business more money um, but for me it, it is it's always been about doing the right thing and it's always doing things about doing things in the cleanest eco-friendly way possible so well that's beautiful man and i, I will conclude on that because that's just amazing doing things in the right way universally for the earth for the people <laughs> for the continent of africa as well for our spirits man that's what it's all about so I think we've we've uh, talked here today and had a really in-depth interview. And uh, man, I just appreciate you coming on the show and uh, you know sharing your wisdom. I'm I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people that can pull wisdom from this. And anybody who's listening that wants to support your business, I encourage them to reach out to you. Again, uh, let's give them your your website. But you do have a temporary website right now. Um, I do, but uh, want to just give obviously them. Obviously, it's just we'll give them your Instagram, and then they can link to it from that a little easier. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the Instagram again is at Paradise Sun Snacks or Jadu Armar. J E D U A R M A R. And uh, again, man, thanks for coming. And uh, Paradise Sunset Snacks, Sun Chasing Success was a perfect combination. <laughs> Thank you so much, Byron. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks for Thank joining you. us this week on Sun Chase and Success. Make sure to visit our blog at www.olorunbooks.com slash blog. Again, that's O-L-O-R-U-N books.com slash blog. You can also subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of your favorite platforms, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on your preferred platform. Or you can simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out Bio's ebook, Secrets of Success Under the Sun. It's available at olorunbooks.com success. Subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Until next time, sun chasers. Cheers to your success.